0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bond Daft Podcast. Stephen Barry here, joined once again remotely with my fellow Bond aficionados, Steve McCall.
1: A very, very sunny good afternoon to you all.
0: Good afternoon. Francis Murphy.
1: Yo, yo, yo.
0: Actually, I fucking forgot to press record on the good one.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was like, hang on. No.
1: Right.
2: Let's redo it. I actually thought for a minute my yo-yo-yo went down really badly for some reason. There's the silence there. <laughs> well, now you can jump <laughs> in like,
0: straight away with pure urgency. right? Such a disappointment,
3: that particular
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> right, here we go. I'm just going to do it again. And welcome to another edition of the Bond Daft Podcast. Stephen Barry here, joined once again remotely with my fellow Bond aficionados. Steve McCall. Hello to you all. Good afternoon. Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo.
2: And Gordon Webster. Good evening, Mr. Barry. Good evening to you all. Three traditions now, isn't it? We all say hello
1: the same way now. You're right, subliminally. I've just realized this, but after seventeen episodes, I I'm, I yeah, I've got the same greeting in my head. <laughs> well yours
0: was your your usual greeting, the good afternoon on our first take on this, which I'm now pulling the curtain back and saying that we're doing a second take on the intro. Uh which
1: <laughs> yeah. It's kinda yeah. like yeah, with I the links Bond... up and then it yeah, it just took everyone by surprise.
3: Yeah. I do remember in the Bond series after maybe like the first or second film gradual um Themes started to develop these kind of Bond signatures. I think after our first or second podcast, we've kind of done that. Established their own signatures. Yeah. And I think this will be the closest to our one-year birthday or one-year anniversary. (laughs) I love you. You've mentioned it in the last, like, four podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) This (laughs) time I got it right. About, About three days, I think, is it not? The 25th or... No, today's the 26th. I don't know. End of April days, was
1: 14 hours, 56 minutes and 12 seconds. Not clear, <laughs> counting.
3: Something like that. We've I mean, yeah,
0: got cake and everything. Alright then, um, we are here, of course, for one of the best James Bond films, in my opinion. The 17th Bond film, released in 1995. The first to star Pierce Brosnan. Mostly an entire new cast as well. It is, of course, GoldenEye. This is the film that got me into Bond. This is a monumental film for me uh, it's in my top 10 of all films i'm looking forward to watching this film with you guys uh just very quickly before we go into goldeneye where we have our very brief catch-up on how we're all doing as part of this pandemic isolation lockdown or weekly update on how we're all doing
3: uh gordon we'll start with you yeah i'm doing all right again like i said before trying to put things into perspective and realize there's there's a lot of people you know Going through some real difficulty at the moment, and I've I've got through rel- relatively unscathed, and I've been I've been trying to yeah again watching a few movies, watching keeping an eye on the news, trying not to watch it too much, and I'm gonna I'll need to start my John Gardner Bond books again soon. I've I've uh, I finished one about a month ago. I I thought I'll, get, I'll take a wee break and then I'll maybe return to them. Eating well and uh, um, generally alive and well at the moment.
2: Excellent, Francis Murphy. Um, I've been having a bloody great time recently. I've uh, I got a hold of a game called No Man's Sky uh, for the PC, which is basically a a, a universe exploration game. And it, it it's weird to feel free when you're on a lockdown, but it has uh, it, the scale of the thing is insane. It's got 18 quintillion star systems. Only 18 quintillion. Uh huh. All of which have between one in six planets all of the planets are the, are, are earth sized at least um, and all of them have unique plants animals features some of them are dead planets some of them have ruins on you know there's not not a single one of them is the same and I've been on this mission self-appointed mission that I well, actually I achieved it last night where I was just going through the galaxy hunting for a planet that was the most like earth that I could find and uh, I kept finding ones that were like, I, for example, I landed on. I, I found one that was like green, green grass and all that, and you know, blue oceans and blue sky. And I thought this is lovely, and I landed on it, and within about five minutes, there was a superheated rainstorm that killed me. <laughs> so like, you know, there, there was always something wrong with the planet. Do you know what I mean? Um, but last night, eventually, I found I found the the one I was looking for. So that was quite fun. But I, I, it's been. Actually, I would. I've been toying with writing an article about No Man's Sky and mental health because it is the most relaxed, chilled out experience ever.
0: That is actually a common thing I've heard about the game.
2: Uh, I think it was a
0: very divisive game when it came out. I think the the main developer had hyped it up in twenty sixteen when he first brought it out and said it was going to change games, all this kind of stuff, and it had like it, it didn't meet any of the expectations he set up. But they've add since added so much to it now um, that it's actually the game that he did promise more or less at the beginning. So it is now that game, but it was very, very divisive in 2016 when it first released. A lot of critics didn't take to it, but I think now I can see what you're saying. By the way, Fran, you know uh Very quickly, you had that Xbox Live account, Hinoxus, right? And that comes up on my profile, and you're and that he's playing No Man's Sky, which I think it must still be you, but it's tied to one of your like google accounts or something there's no way the person that bought your xbox and is using your account is playing no man's sky at the exact same time as you
2: (laughs) yeah it is it's me i noticed it last night because i'm actually able to bring up the xbox game bar on my pc because i've got the as you can see on the screen i've got the xbox pad so i'm using it with the pc so it's effectively an xbox i'm playing that's cool. We'll
0: need to look at any cross-compatible games to see if there's anything we can actually play together. We probably could
2: play this. There's a lot of Microsoft. Microsoft is doing that. Yeah. They're pulling things together, but maybe I could get Perfect Dark for the PC.
0: Oh, oh. Well, we, oh that'd be so good. Right, uh, before we, we delve deep into our games podcast, Steve, come, come, come to you for the, the lockdown update. How's it going?
1: Yeah, I'm doing exceptionally well, I think. I think it, it all now feels relatively normal. Uh, yeah. Life is just kind of, if we've been like this, I mean, this is getting to week six now, and I'm still going to work. I'm still sort of pottering about. The restrictions, I've kind of become second nature now, so I kind of know to cross the road when I see someone on the pavement. I know to stand two metres away from people in the supermarket So it's alright, I've just been kind of lazing about, spent a lot of time outside because the weather's been so damn nice, and just kind of scrolling through a lot of the sort of crap TV that a lot of the channels have been forced to put on because all of the regular shows have gone tits up, which is how I ended up coming across, I think it was a, a random sports channel, which I wouldn't normally stop on, but I stopped because it was sort of guys throwing beanbags into holes, and this was on ENPS or ESPN, sorry, the sports channel, a genuine... And it turns out it's an American sport called Cornhole. I was <laughs> fucking hooked. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff, because there's obviously no live sport anymore, that channels are having to either improvise or put on repeats of stuff or just make up stuff. Corn? And it turns out the Americans just... Yeah, it's literally Cornhole because they're throwing bags of corn into holes. It turns <laughs> out Americans either put the word American at the start of sports to make it theirs or just make it blatantly obvious what it is we throw corn into a hole (laughs) hole.
2: it does what it says on the tin Steve I'm amazed actually that you're alive because you literally have the sun right next to your face
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah it's the way that yeah is that a reflection or something It's amazing it looks like it's
3: like like a halo isn't it it's like the (laughs) (laughs) same.
1: it's incredible I forgot to mention that I've died and reincarnated as an archangel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely
2: <laughs> well.
3: <laughs> it's a very productive week you've had Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to think of the wee saint kind of ring ring from the program Roger Mooney's is here at the start of each episode. It goes da 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 da, and then as the I title have, sequence. I don't think anybody else has seen the saint. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, it's on all the time. Do you know what I've been watching? I mean, because to show you, I've been watching stuff a bit more up to date. The Blacklist, and that's super dark. And uh, I'd been missing it. It's been shown since 2013 and I just went to the start of it and I looked and there's about 22 episodes every season. There's about seven seasons now. So plenty of watching material coming up. It's a lot to catch up on. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. Well, that's good to hear, Steve, that you're now reincarnated uh, as the sun. Yeah. So... (laughs) Uh, yeah, uh, I'm the same. I've been enjoying the weather. It's been fantastic having the garden. I hate to rub that in for the for yous, you guys who may not. That, yeah, sorry, Fran. <laughs> yeah, so we've been having barbecues and things like that. I've also been running. I went a run yesterday, and I, I think it's because I've been strengthening my legs from doing cycling and doing some exercises in the house that I was able to run a 5K and beat my time by a minute. That My best time ever sort of thing. So I kind of like can't believe it. After... Trying to do five K's for the last few months recently and failing after about the fourth K and struggling and just to get under like thirty minutes and things like that. And then I was able to do it in like twenty four minutes this time with relative ease. So it just shows you what building some muscles in your legs, actually working on your legs does for you know fitness and things like that. Anyways, yeah, so that I've been fine. Uh yeah, so we're obviously all good then. We're all we're all surviving, finding our ways, as Fran lights up a cigarette.
3: You may be, you may be, hopefully listening to this through Apple Podcasts because we're now on Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes. I keep calling it iTunes. I think it's called Apple Podcasts now. So yep. not, not just yep. through SoundCloud anymore. And I will give
0: credit to you on this, Gordon. You've persevered with trying to, all of this, uh, trying to get up on iTunes and things like that. You put me in furlough and I've only been doing it for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still to be paid, <laughs> but.
1: <laughs> and, uh, 100% uh, 100% of fuck all.
0: yeah we're gonna have to censor that that's uh we're that's not gonna uh, put on the podcast okay so uh let's let's talk about the film at hand golden uh i feel like i want to start before we even get into the film with the recent watch along with pierce brosden i feel like that's a, a thing we should what we should talk about gordon We uh, took part in this where we watched Pierce Brosnan's commentary, live commentary, as he watched Goldeneye. Apparently, it's his first time watching it since the premiere of the film. Uh,
3: That was an interesting experience. They always they do their film or do their series, and they always say, "Oh, I've never watched this since." I know. It's not just him. All yeah, like that. no, no, that's actually every uh, interview when I read an Empire the,
0: no actor seems to like at least admitting that they watch their own films they really find it uncomfortable um, especially as they've gotten older and then they're looking back at their young self so, yeah but uh, Pierce uh, Pierce, it was it was an inter an interesting watch I would say, watching it live with Pierce Brosnan he was uh, taking questions from people, kind of uh he'd mostly had pre-prepared questions and used printed them out on an a4 page and was reading from them but in all
3: honesty he was he seemed a bit awkward i don't know if you agreed gordon to be honest i was just grateful he was there and given up his time but he did he seemed just like the second half i think he was just flagging a bit and he just he just seemed tired and i it was i think he spent more time talking about the world is not enough and tomorrow never dies and now but the first half it, it was quite cool he was um he was recapping various scenes i i was hoping he would have said more about the him and trevelyan's fight at the end of it which was a uh, like quite a brutal fight sequence but no i mean it still i, I think you could tell even from that that the brosnan enjoyed being Bond and he still enjoys talking about it i think from my watching of it he has not good
0: with speaking to uh digitally and remotely to mass audience uh without any preparation and he's not very tech minded so he looked as if he he wasn't even watching the film with audio so he was purely it was a visual experience so he wasn't really following the plot very much and i think he had a bunch of stories he was planning to tell and he did tell the main stories in it but that kind of like been used up by the first third
3: of the film yeah on the whole though i mean yeah I, i i it was just it was so nice and pleasant to when he finally just appeared. It was that black screen; everyone's waiting with bated breath for minutes, and his his face just appears on the screen. And um, he'd, he'd had a, a bit of a shave. He was looking more like Bond again. He's get rid of his his big beard. I was just, uh, it was nice to hear from him and to uh, he gave us, a, you know, he's fairly candid as well. Usually when he talks about Bond, he, he mentioned a bit about when he met. Tarantino about potentially doing a Bond film and he gave us a lot of insight into he's not afraid to talk about the whole Remington Steel contract and the in the way in which he, he um didn't get the living daylights when everything was signed and prepared and they you know, it was good and uh, he um, he went he went out of his way to to, you know, communicate with the fans and that's the main thing for me. I, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, same here. That was, I I mean, yeah, it goes without saying. It was fantastic he did it. He didn't have to do it. Uh, It was for a good cause as well. And also, you know, you could tell that he just really appreciates. He's just a very nice guy. I just wanted to give him a a handshake or a hug, obviously remote hug at this point. But um, uh, he just seems like such a nice guy and nothing bad to say, but anyway, he had lovely words for Derek Meddings, we'll talk about him later, but who the film is dedicated to and all the cast and crew
3: and things like that. Um, so many nice things. Sorry, I forgot, I would planned a few days ago I'd like to mention a couple of brief things that he brought up. Okay, I liked what he said about, he said I think it was when he was making The Worlds Not Enough. It was one of the few times that I think that he really being able to speak to Connery Connery appeared Saturday and he says all Connery said to him was I hope they're paying you enough yeah. and he said also I loved it he said that he used to be backgammon constantly he says with one of the photographers one of the kind of main filming guys who like shot a lot of the stuff in St. Petersburg that, that's just like what Roger Moore used to do like Moore and, and Broccoli used to, to pass the time between takes doing uh, playing you know gambling playing backgammon that was quite cool yeah no, there was some great stories. The story he told
0: about the car—I think he stalled it or something like that. He was having trouble with it, uh, the BMW. And he says it was one of the when the paparazzi and everyone was watching. He just felt the most unbonded
3: experience he could have given. <laughs> when, uh, I think he's very proud of Goldeneye. I mean, he—he he was talking as so well. That's it, the favourite one he's done. He said to me, "The film's held up very well." He says, and he says it's definitely a classic for me. Yeah, it just um, it. He seemed like like Roger Moore. I think he was very close to a lot of the crew. And you can tell he just he reflects his time and his bond so well. I, I wish I'd listened to some of his anecdotes because certainly in the first half there was a, a few good anecdotes from him. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it certainly was. It was interesting hearing about his first day filming with uh, Robbie Coltrane. That was his first day. So it was the Valentin Zukovsky section. And um, just kind of nervousness that it was sort of I finally it dawned on him you know you're playing Bond and you're you're working with a legend in the business Robbie Coltrane
3: I think he said he didn't actually have to go to St. Petersburg for any of the lot no. of the tank yeah. sequences were here and he also said that they didn't actually use Pinewood Studios for the yeah. all the interior shots they, because there was another film on they used Leavesden Studios I think that's also in the south of England yeah. and I think I think that this was a big budget compared to compared to *License to Kill*. I mean, Pierce told us he. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, hat. did did uh, did Pierce not give us a wee bit of? I think he gave us a bit of insight into the huge delay between you know eighty nine *License to Kill*. *Gold* I didn't come out till ninety five, and I think the sort of overall holding company MGM, who are in charge of United Artists. They they were sold to a different company, and then there was various lawsuits and countersuits. Timothy Dalton was meant to still be on board. The, the, the script kept getting rewritten. Ray, Richard Maybaum left. Someone else came in. Dalton essentially thought that was it and walked away. Cubby Broccoli wanted him back. He was back on board. There was all kinds of stuff going on, and... I think it was about 1994 when things really got going.
0: Yeah, I think Dalton had finally given up by 1994 and said, nope, it's not happening now. I think Cubby Broccoli. It's such Cubby a shame. Broccoli. I would
3: have liked to have another a third film. I think a lot. We really enjoyed him. It, it was all too brief his stint just to have him for it. I think he needed that third film. Yeah,
0: he did. He did. He did. He said he wanted one final film. And that was the actual contentious issue because Broccoli had says, hang on, there has been a five-year delay at this point. You're not just coming back for one. You've got to do at least two or three. And that was where he was like, no, no, I'm doing one. If it's not that, I'm not doing any. And then they obviously decided, because there was still issues with the script at this point and all sorts, they was like, no, it's not happening. So he, he walked away and that's where they returned back to Pierce Brosnan, who had already been in the picture. Around the time of '86, when The *Living Daylights* was being made, so so he uh, he wasn't like unfamiliar to the Bond producers, so and uh, that's when he uh, appeared in the mix. Yeah, that's quite succinctly. We've kind of talked about some of the, the setup for this film. There was obviously a six-year gap, major issues. Uh, I'm not you more or less covered it anyway, Gordon. I was trying to read up on it, and it, it sounds messy. So. This was obviously the first film in the Bond franchise. It was released after the break, or the breakup of the Soviet Union. This was obviously reflected in the film, and also, I think some of the around the nineties is when really the sort of feminism was starting to be taken on board in films, and that was kind of treated in the script. I think the casting of Judi Dench was a pivotal moment for the series. Uh, and showing that they were able to move on as well as I think it was actually based on real life I think the head of MI5 or MI6 was a female around that time so there was actually precedence in real life already uh, but yeah Judy Dench knew M I think she's fantastic she even calls Bond in that famous line a sexist misogynist dinosaur relic of the Cold War era it's the film saying you know we we're we are completely unaware uh, of Bond's role and we're challenging him on it, but at the same time we're representing the character. It was a, it was a great way to treat it, I think. Um, they didn't deviate too much from Bond. They softened him enough by this point that it wasn't egregious and things like that the way that the Connery era was. But he, I think they, they, and Goldeneye specifically, they, they keep to the essence of the character. We'll go into that in more detail. I think... I think we can probably just—we've all we know we all love this film. Well, we all grew up with this film. We're all familiar. This is the one we're all mostly familiar with. Uh, so I can safely say that we've all played the game a lot. That that, that came out two years after the film. Gordon, you want to just for the audience or massive audience of the Bond Daff podcast, want to just give us a quick rundown of the basic setup for the plot of this film?
3: Yeah, and if you're listening, remember give us a top five star review because that will. Um, help us in our plans for, for world, domination. world domination of the Bond podcast and even a nice wee review you can say anything from uh, like the Goldeneye podcast to I, I totally disagree with what you guys said when diamonds are forever or <laughs> whatever you guys are total dicks. With. Just give us we like feedback and uh, criticism as long as it's constructive Maybe not the total dicks part then Aye, so aye, a little bit of plot I'll keep it quite um, condensed down again. A ghost from James Bond's past comes back to haunt him after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And around the time, uh, it, it, it harks back to a previous mission in the 80s, prior to that. And at this point in the mid-90s, uh, a French, um, I think it's a French naval helicopter, really sort of top of the range, um, sort of, <laughs> yeah, naval helicopter gets... And um, stolen, and there seems to be some sort of conspiracy. There's a, it seems to be like a, a conspiracy between a, a crime syndicate and perhaps people in the the Russian army. And this ghost of Bonds' past, and uh, it turns out that the Britain could be p- perhaps threatened by this uh, satellite weapon system. Uh, it turns out, and Bonds got to put the pieces together. Alright then. Uh yeah, this is obviously
0: big cast, Sean Bean, we've not mentioned him. We'll go into more detail once we come back. Robbie Coltrane, Alan Cumming. Uh yeah, this is this is fun. Uh, yeah. I've said enough. This film is one of my favourites, so we will come back. I think that's us then. We are now ready to go and watch GoldenEye. Bye bye. We are back from having watched GoldenEye. How do we feel this one went, gents? Fran,
2: let's start with you. Well, I thought it was it was great. I, I was kind of trying to work out whether I was enjoying it because I'd seen it so many times and it was one that I'd seen when I was growing up. Um, that was definitely a part of it. But I thought that um, in terms of the plot, the characters, the uh, moving along with the times after the six-year six gap, Certainly, like, it felt very far away from, uh, I mean, obviously, we didn't get to see very much of the last Bond, having only two movies, but it felt very far removed from the, the Moore era. Um, it was nice to see um, uh, Judy Dench, isn't it, as M? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Money Penny as well, with the new, what was that actress's name? Samantha Bond. Yep, Samantha Bond, yeah. um, She was good. I, I just, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it again. There was a couple of bits that, I, I, you know, a couple of bits of music maybe I didn't think were so great, and a couple of maybe a couple of scenes that I didn't like so much, but very, very, very minor things. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was great. Yep, Steve.
1: Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it overall. Um, it's it's definitely the most modern feeling Bond uh, that we've watched so far. It had a genuine. It felt different from pretty much every other one we've watched. Similar to Fran, I was watching it, trying to work out if my enjoyment came from, because this is the one of all the Bond films that I'm most familiar with, and just trying to work out whether or not I was liking it, I was enjoying it because of the memories it was harking back to and the sort of connection I've got with it, or whether I genuinely enjoyed it. Because this is, because it's the one that I'm most familiar with, it's the one I've been building up to. And it's the one I thought this is going to be what I base everything on. This is going to be my five star. This is going to be the biggie. And I'm now sitting going, is it though? Having watched the previous 16 or so. um, So I'm a little torn, Um, but I mean, it was enjoyable. I loved watching it again. I'll I'll never not smile watching that film. Um, Again, bits of music didn't quite work, but it was, we'll come more into that, I think. But I've got a little bit of rearranging, I think, in my own head and possibly from previous films to do based on this.
0: Yes, I suspect we all do. Yeah, I I can agree on that. Gordon,
3: oh, man, you 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 guys are going through. I'm going through just about every film here, Do I love the film because it was a fantastically made film, or is it just is it bringing back great memories? And I think it's a bit of both. More than anything, Brosnan's debut absolutely hits the ground running. First film, he looks and sounds the part. You totally buy into him his bond and what I reveal from at the beginning. I really loved Trevelyan's character or 006, the whole betrayal angle, great stunt work. And it's interesting what um, Steve McCall said there about the this feeling of a more modern film, because I, I feel as well, there, there's a, the, in some ways, for a 1995 film, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a detractor. You feel, if maybe if you put this up against Tomorrow Never Dies a couple of years later, it's a bit less colourful, a bit um, the kind of colours and everything there's a bit more of a drabness in some ways it doesn't seem uh, maybe does come across a bit dated um, no I don't mean this as a detractor just uh, uh, that diff- it maybe in some ways doesn't have the feel of a mid 90s film and it's uh, I found the same emission Mission Impossible which equally I, I really love and it was made I think same year maybe the year after I think it was 96 release film yeah yeah, I really enjoy this. I mean, yeah, like you guys, it's always been really up there for me. And my favourite, Pierce.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's more or less a unanimously agreed sort of viewpoint, really, that this is Pierce's best film. There's not many people I know or can see arguing the case for any of the other three films. This was a smash hit when it came out. Massive box office success. It I think, was up there uh, with Moonraker um, and maybe beat Moonraker, I think, over time, adjusted for inflation especially. It certainly was a massive success financially over the two Dalton films, even for the, its time before inflation. This was a... So it's was critically viewed as well. I personally still... Love this film i am aware when i was even commenting on the whatsapp when we were watching this film that i do have a sort of golden eye lens glasses when i'm watching this that i have to try and pull away from and try and view this film from a critical point of view and not see it as the 11 year old when i when i first watched this film
3: but so what steve puts this ahead um ahead of um, from what you're saying I can from from what I can gather it sounds like it's maybe your, your favourite or favourite so far. What what is it you think this film's got that maybe some of the others don't? Uh
0: I think the writing for supporting characters I I Cross the board is better. Little things like... I mean, it's it's not just the writing, the performances and the casting choices were all nail perfect. I had never seen most of these actors until this film, but because of this film, became a big fan of nearly the entire supporting cast, from Robbie Coltrane to Alan Cumming to... Uh, Judy Dench to Alec, uh, Sean Bean and Isabel Skrupko. I've only seen, obviously, another one of her films, but I thought she was fantastic in this. So that's something that I would say put this film. And then the writing as well, we spoke, spoke about it. We'll go into detail on the writing, but for, for the most part, everyone got great little lines. Xenia Onatop is one of, is fantastic as a villain. Femme Fatale, not just in a sort of like noir thriller type film where they usually lure a character with sex, and it's the sort of cliche. But she's actually a badass Terminator character. She is an actual powerful, dominate. She makes all the men around her look weak physically. She is strong, and she even um, those moments she smirks when they're all. And the thing I also love with this film, I love ensembles, especially with great characters, villains. This film had that. You had your three main villains on that train section. It was only one scene on Orimov, uh, Trevalian, and her. And she's standing in the back smirking as the dialogue between the other two characters. Little things that I noticed that I really liked. I'm going to go on. I'm going to end up realising I'm talking about this film. Uh, <laughs> well, that's me. I'll try and take it from the top. But yeah, that that sort of stuff that I really like. When you look back at the older films, you don't have that as, that as much. You don't have many scenes with Strongberg and Jaws and interacting the way that this film had Boris interacting with uh, Natalia, Boris interacting with Trevalian, Unimov interacting with I- Xenia. They're all the A plot met the B plot and it all met really well at the end. So yeah,
2: yeah, I think uh, that as well. I I I, I, rec- I I think it was very tightly written and paced. All the characters, um, all the characters had. They were crystal clear characters. You could you could see who they were. Even like the the Canadian admiral that that Xenia was with at the start, with a very small part. He, he you know you could tell that he just couldn't believe his luck that he'd kind of met this Xenia person, and and she was voraciously you know
1: all over him. You know what I mean? And, well, you and, could see it on his face. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was waiting for that. That, that yeah. If they die, then that's the best way to go, I think. Yeah, that's it. I mean, when, when I was watching that, we haven't seen any scene like that in a Bond film, have we? Like a really quite graphic sex scene, but turns into a violent death. And I know it was cut for the film. There was actually a bit more in the uncut version, uh, apparently, according to the Wikipedia article. But yeah, that was that was nothing like anything I've ever seen in a Bond film.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's not like, I mean, to be honest, it's kind of it's kind of unique in a way, like what she does. I mean, she's she's a literal femme fatale, do you know. What I mean, like in the <laughs> act of coitus, you know, she's killing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's really interesting. But the the, the, the thing about it is that the thing I like about Xenia. If we're going to th- like, we're kind of t- thinking about her, I guess. But okay, let, let's talk about her. Let, let's try and focus on something. Let's talk about her then. So Xenia, what I find interesting about this film is that. It doesn't... To me, the film, the way that it treats the the characters is it treats them all quite realistically, which I quite like, right? Insofar as it can. Now, there's a propensity for some films to overcompensate. They'll say, we've got to have a strong female character and they make them godlike, unkillable, flawless characters and it's just unbelievable and, and daft. Whereas in this film... The, the female characters all felt like they had um, understandable motivations and quirks and, and flaws to them that I felt were quite believable. And you could say that about um, a, a, even the most subtle little moments where uh, Judy Dench's M uh, gives a, a quite stern talking to to Bond. And then um, at the very end, she's, she kind of looks up and softens and says, you know, uh, come back alive. You know, and it's that little tiny moment there that you see there's another side to her. And with Xenia, where that was coming through was things like um, the fact that her um, uh, fetish for death and pain was almost a curiosity to Urumov And one <laughs> where, she, where, where she's gasping with orgasmic delight as she's shooting people and Urimov kind of just looks over and, and is kind of curious about it, you know? Um Natalia as well. Well, well, we'll stick with Xenia. I went off yeah. with with Judy Dench there, but what I'm getting at is that there's there's subtle there's a realism that's that's particularly um, noticeable with Xenia in the sense that yes, she's a badass, yes, she's strong, but she's not that way just because. Do you know what I mean? She's that way because it and it fits her character. It fits and and it's believable.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean. It's i i can i don't know if i would say it's believable in a sense like believable to me sounds like the sort of you walk around the street and you would meet somebody like her i don't think i would however the character they've created she was consistent throughout the entire film uh and i i like that
2: that's i like that word that's probably a better yeah. word for it. i think it's i think the way i would i would phrase it is believable within the lens of a bond movie if that yeah. makes
0: sense. yeah and it was also, again, unique. Again, we hadn't seen anything like that. And I, haven't, I can't think of any real characters like her, actually, now I think about it in films. She is actually very original, um, which I love about it. She she fascinated me. One of my favourite things about the entire film.
2: Yeah, and she had a great moment with Bond in the car. Like, Obviously, she wanted... She, when she was killing Bond, it wasn't just killing, when she was trying to kill Bond in the sauna, it wasn't just about killing, it was about sexual gratification and the fact that she didn't get off put her in a bad mood. <laughs> so she's in the car with Bond and you can tell that she's grumpy and annoyed. That that she that that you know she hasn't got what she wanted out of the deal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's
0: like one finally a man has got one over her. Like she has clearly dominated everyone around her for her, uh, and this is the this is the one man who has stopped whatever she wants to uh, in her tracks. Again, I like that little touches. Ah,
1: it was that moment that kind of brought in the humanism because otherwise you' would have just been this kind of thigh based sort of undefeatable godlike villain, but the fact that she was brought down to earth like that in the car, it was a kind of human moment which she kind of needed compared to what was very reminiscent of Christopher Walken's um, Zoran character when she was um, firing oh, on that's... all of the uh, the Russian yeah. workers. That's ex- her face as she was doing that is exactly what uh, that's kind of what what came to mind there. And that's, that's actually the interesting. This is a proper psychopath. And yeah. then you get her brought back down to Earth.
0: That's an interesting comparison. I'd never thought of that, but you're right. That probably is the
2: closest we've seen uh, in the Bond films. You could have headcanon, Steve, where it's like um, she was a product of the same genetic factory as Zorin <laughs> during the Soviet <laughs>
1: Union. Uh, of course, because he was, yeah, I, I thought he was effectively factory-made. Yeah, sure she, she could have come to She did scene. seem
2: overly, like she, she was almost superhuman in some ways. You could say, you know, yeah. you never know. And we like you know Bond, yeah. well, when you see the
3: ahead. end when when Bond um killed her. It, it was another one of these where Bond's uh she's essentially another uh, a henchman but a hench in this case. And it's another hench, we'll say hench person that Bond's up against, where they they have this strength that Bond can't match, but his his wits come out of it because he spots the helicopter and fires the gun and causes her to get strangled. So I uh, yet again we saw it in some of the earliest. Bond films with Connery, he resorts to that to to defeat people.
2: So are you saying that the henchmen are kind of a device to... that, that they're not just there as a... They're, they're there as a device to show us Bond's ingenuity. It's it's the way that he thinks his way out of stuff?
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, it's just a scenario that keeps reappearing in quite a, quite a lot of films. He did that with... The likes of odd job when he defeated him um uh, there's, there's definitely a few in the Moor era as well
0: it's usually turning their the sort of turning something against them you know it was odd jobs hat uh usually jaws it was something like electrify his his teeth his mouth or whatever with a, a light bulb short circuit or whatever things like that it, it, they, they just have to create some sort of unique how is he going to get out of this moment?
3: It's, it's not always how he kills the person. It's like how he gets out of the situation. Because like, he never actually killed Jaws, but I like you said, he um, he used the you know things around him to get Jaws out of his hair.
0: I think it just it just makes interesting storytelling. I mean, if they just had him just shoot her in cold blood as she's walking to the, down the corridor, it would probably just be not very interesting.
2: I, I think it's quite impressive that that despite the fact that all of these characters are created quite rightly, as Gordon points out, as devices for the plot and for, you know, foil for Bond, in a way, that they, they also managed in this film to make, in particular, characters like Xenia so interesting, you know, and so unique in their own right, as well, despite yeah.
0: that. Let's, um.
2: We'll,
0: we'll move on to, I want to talk about so many of the characters as well as all the themes and things like that. Just very quickly, and finishing on Xenia, I loved, and I think this is actually across the board. I think this is something maybe we don't talk about enough: the costumes of this film. Things like the the costume department probably don't get enough credit for what they do in the film. So first, we'll talk with Xenia. That uniform when she massacres the the Ayas station—it's a powerful commanding uniform and I think it was great costume design and it goes the same with Bond and Travalian at the beginning of the film it's like a SWAT team sort of like outfit they're wearing for I suppose the, for the, Bond does the dive and things like that, it's very practical but it looks cool as hell and it's just yeah again hadn't
3: really seen that
0: we've seen Bond in cardigans and things sometimes in films you know
3: <laughs> but I know not. That- he did in this yeah Then when he was driving in Monte Carlo <laughs> and but i think i think um if we look at the uh, bond in particular another thing because it this film had a very classic bond feel but the great thing about it was they brought it seamlessly into the 1990s but he had the you know the the dicky bow on in the casino quite early in the film he had um you know that that nice cool commando sort of outfit like you said with Trevelyan. and it was similar to like to what dalton's bond war in the gibraltar scene the loving daylights and then you've got them yeah you've got them with just gen- the nice kind of gray suit in the mi6 are harking back to like connery and goldfinger and all that stuff you know uh but it was interesting i don't know if it was meant as a sort of antidote to to xenia but natalia was quite drably dressed like, in the first half of the film which was kind of interesting but obviously a very beautiful woman but yeah i don't know if that's just her work attire or something
0: I was about to say that she's meant to just be a computer analyst or a computer programmer. It would be a bit bizarre if she was wearing a sort of I don't know, really nice dress or whatever. You know, it would be like going to
2: chippy, and the guy's got a tuxedo on. (laughs) Yeah,
3: no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, but for for a long period. Yeah, it's just interesting. I'm not I mean as a criticism. Like maybe yeah, yeah. it's meant to, I wonder if it's meant to be, is that because you can't have say. everyone too flashy looking? Do well, know what what, I, mean?
2: what I think it is actually. Is I think it's it's part of the whole looking at what the Soviet Union post or what Russia post Soviet Union was like. Because you see a bit of the Soviet Union at the start of the film, and then you see Russia afterwards. It was drab. People didn't have a lot of money. You know, the cars were shit. The clothes were shit. Buildings were falling apart. The government wasn't fully like working the way that it should have. You know, I mean, nobody really knew. There was people who used to be part of the Soviet machine still there. You know, so her costumes part of that. As Steve, you were saying, Steve, about the costume department. You know, doing a good job they did because they were signalling all these different little things. You know, with um also um when Va- uh, Bond goes to the uh, to see Valentine and you've got all of the uh folk dressed up in American gear. Which would never have happened in the Soviet Union. They, when they were doing the karaoke and all that kind of thing, the old cowboy yeah. outfits on. So there was loads of different signals.
3: I think uh, I really enjoyed Valentine in this. Uh, he, uh, Robbie Coltrane train playing Valentine, and this came across like quite a hard character, and uh, you know, a formidable um, boss of organized crime. Whereas I, I felt the no, world's not enough. He became too much of a comedy character, but I, and I love. I just really loved the the link to the past. is like Jack Wade says to Bond, do you know him? And he says, I'm the one that gave him the limp. And that added that extra spice to the dialogue between Bond and Zhukovsky, and he's got that lovely line uh, to Bond, or oh, shaken but not stirred. I, I just some brilliant exchanges between them. But again, like I, I said, like, in Few Eyes Only, for example, how I like when um, seemingly villains become allies and so forth. Apart from not, not like Jaws style, but the likes of for uh, through eyes. Only but in this, like Valentine, he was about to kill kill Bond or, or maim him with his gun, but he actually ended up helping Bond. You know that was a, a real nice touch. I thought
1: mm-hmm. that yeah. was just as I think Bond pointed out, appealing to his uh to his wallet. I think is how Bond put it. He's yeah, he's greedy. He'll do. He's a he's a mercenary. He'll do whatever for the highest price. That's kind of the impression I think you're left with with uh with Valentine, who was a great character. Cause I, I, I like the way he toyed with Bond. The way he was just constantly shooting. To his left, to his light right to you know between his legs and whatnot, and Bond did seem a, a li- genuinely a little bit terrified of him. <laughs> <laughs> it did it. It it made it really really exciting to watch as a a character, someone who Bond seems sort of genuinely worried would actually take him out immediately,
2: Orblow and someone who, who would just off toy off? with him like
1: you would a cat, or blow. Yeah, exactly. It's the I mean, closest he's come since that laser. Well, you know this is probably
2: if you want to think about that angle. Of the film, Bond ha- had a really hard time in this movie. He got, you know, he he, he nearly got taken out a few times and, he, you know, by henchmen or Trevelyan or... You know, there was a few occasions where he, he was at the absolute mercy of people, you know, but for their yeah. stupid decisions or the fact that they decided to let him go or, do you know what I mean? Or they decided to become an ally or they didn't quite yeah. pull it off, you know? But he, he really There got was back. another... Sub- oh, sorry, I was just going to yeah. say that. And um, there was a bit I wanted to mention, I was worried I was going to forget about it, but we've never seen a double O versus a double O before. And that yes. fight between Trevelyan and Bond was brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. And you you know, the way that it the, the the cuts and the shots just felt heavy and just painful and that Trevelyan and Bond were equally matched.
1: Yes. To an extent I wonder how much Bond fans have been waiting for that for sixteen seventeen films, a proper bond on bond, effectively, someone who you know matches <laughs> Bond. <laughs> That's just a shot. Just like a for
3: Bad porno. It's the name of... Uh, sure <laughs> Roger Moore wrote somewhere. a book called Bond and Bond. It's great. He talks about all the other Bond actors. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I love it, Fran. You're you're banging the money there. The whole 007 v 006 thing's great, especially how you see in the, in the pre-titles, the excellent pre-title sequence, that they were friends at one point and they become bitter enemies. I mean, he actually has a real hatred towards Bond and... It's yeah, like you said, Steve. Been waiting for that for years. I love seeing other double O's, and we've never seen another double O uh, for actually be developed as a character and be seen for a real length of time. And it's all the references. How he he always brings up the password bond later in the film. He's go, he going. It goes on about money, penny, and cue, and that sort of thing. Even like what I touched upon before, I think he even as a wee dig at Bond for um, he brings up he alludes to. Tracy's death when he says about in the arms of all these willing women, you know? I love that. That's, that a, that's maybe up for a debate. The Jews may be out in that one, but... I
0: don't I don't think it specifically. I think it was more a general sweeping statement about nearly every film has one innocent woman dying. Usually the first one he sleeps with is usually the one that dies. Uh, sort of cliche in the older films, so... I think that kind of felt like it was... I mean, that's alluding to Bond's past, essentially, as half of the women he sleeps with died. Uh, so that, that's probably what it alludes to. But, I mean, you could read into it as a continuity, but I don't think they, they overtly are really referencing that.
2: I <laughs> imagine how that would make you feel, <laughs> like, as a character in, in a film, like, it doesn't ever delve into that. But if 50% of your romantic entanglements were dead, I mean, that is insane, isn't it? Mm. Like. Yeah. As a stick for bought, like you know. I suppose that's where the kind of soft reboots come in, you know, because we're not, I think, supposed to believe really that this Bond is the one that's been there the whole time. Do you know what I mean? That
0: to me, that's actually an interesting point, Fran. This to me, I always viewed this as a soft reboot. I never really felt that this Pierce Brosnan's era Bond was a continuation of the originals, primarily because things that happen in this film it feels like, how would you have fitted all those other films as well as what happens in this film? The stuff with Trevelyan, although I never believed that that was nine years ago, because he looks the exact same from the start to the the end. So it always came up, it always flummoxed me when nine years later, I was like, nine years? He looks the exact same? He's aged tremendously well. Um, And obviously, but it doesn't feel, I mean, you could try and argue that all the other films fit into the nine year gap, maybe, and that First mission, maybe, was, you know... But I I always felt this was a soft reboot. Uh, I I would
2: have liked it if um, that intro sequence, it was uh, Dalton as 007 and Brosnan as 006, and then Dalton er, er, betrays the the whole thing, and then Bond becomes 007, and then discovers that Dalton is still... Do you know what
0: I mean? It wouldn't be Bond, though. It would be... Alec Trevelyan, then.
2: But that, thats where a soft reboot comes in, I suppose. Do you know what I mean, like where James Bond, codename played by Dalton.
0: So essentially, to bring this to the modern day, then would you want that for Lashana Lynch, who would play, possibly, is rumoured to play a Double O Seven, and the next one, would you, would you want that to be
2: how she would
0: become Double O
2: Seven? Well, yeah, I suppose that's thats what I've always thought is that the the Bond identity, well, I suppose for men. You know what I mean? That's obviously a male background and character kind of thing. Um, My imagining always was that when someone got assigned 006, they became Alec Trevelyan. When they got assigned 007, they became um, James Bond. When they, 005 would be another character back.
0: See, I think you're, that that would be that's obviously your head, Karen. I would have thought it's just you get the code name Double
2: O Seven, but you could be Steven Barry Double O Seven. <laughs> no, but the thing is, though, imagine what the government would think, though, right? Is the government going to want you to cave under interrogation because the enemies know who your family are and where they live? They don't, so they're going to give you a fake identity. That is what they would do. Absolutely.
1: That's actually a good point. Spies generally don't operate under their own names, particularly when they're on duty. So there's a I think there's a fair argument for suggesting that I've never thought that before. But yeah, that James Bond is the name that is attached to the position of 007, which, again, could explain why he's been so many different people, so many different actors. It's one way of explaining that, I suppose.
0: Then, then maybe then they lead themselves into the issue of the continuity when they re- reference the fact that Tracy was, yes. was killed. So it's kind of like, oh, so you are the same guy, but you look really different.
2: <laughs> look, it's, also, it's also like you've not aged in half a century. But there's also yeah. the fact that, like, the the one thing I don't like about it is that Skyfall... Well, we're moving ahead, but Skyfall... Yeah, came uh, that. very quickly then on this. <clears throat> well, Skyfall sort of ruined that by giving the backstory to Bond. Do you know what I mean? so that headcanon is gone but yeah. that's what I used to think basically.
0: Okay, alright, let's try and focus in. We've talked a little about Xenia, we've talked about costumes and we've talked about well, all of this really, the 007 uh, kind of dilemma uh, let's start, let's go a little chronological, now let's talk that first opening scene the, the, the dam, the, the, the fantastic stunt I mean that was a tremendous... I had op-
1: forgotten how well done that was actually just so I'd, I'd forgotten the fact that there was there was no music there was no dialogue it was just ambient noise sound effects yep. uh footsteps winds and it was like that for a good couple of minutes there was just nothing and it was brilliant it really you you sit waiting for something to happen and because of that all the action just kind of you're you're drawn to it because there's nothing else to distract you from it and the fact that the, you know, the first words, I suppose it's a bit of a shame for Pierce Brosnan that his main reveal slash first words were upside down in front of a Russian guard taking a dump. <laughs> yeah. But it's how it starts. And it's it's just, it's so, I'd forgotten how good that was. The the damn bungee jump mm-hmm. is just similar, I suppose, to the parachute jump. There's no music. It just goes on and on and on. They just let that breathe. And yep. it's something I keep coming back to. It's a really brave thing for any filmmaker to do to just cut all the noise and let one one scene go continuously, just breathe. And it works beautifully. That whole damn scene is just I think that's that's what got my me sort of tingling. I thought, right, I'm really gonna enjoy this.
0: Do you think Eric Serra, the composer, was um compelled to put a slide whistle in when he did the, the bungee jump?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> how
0: killer I mean it would be terrible I mean, that just shows you what that could do to a stunt I'd have switched
1: it, it right <laughs> back off. It, it does yeah I mean that's that's always what will come back to it's, it's proof uh, that right. you you cut the music if you want if you want drama I
3: yeah, think to reveal yeah. Brosnan as Bond I don't think he could have done much better with what they did and that was a obviously you can tell from the initial shot with the plane flying over a real dam in Switzerland it was it's so huge Absolutely massive! That must be one of the biggest dams in the world. And stunt, see the stuntman Wayne Michaels. He'd been involved in a few earlier Bond films, but it, it's clever use of the camera it shows it from his head, um, from the top. Actually, looks like Brosnan, and you know, it was done. I think it was done in one take, and you know, it was just so well put together. And I, I love the way he's actually revealed as Bond. You see his eyes; he's get Brosnan's get very, very distinctive eyes, eyebrows. That just that intense. Um, um, expression, and then when you see his face, after the whole upside-down scene you f- see his face, it's just it's such a good reveal, and a good reveal of Trevelyan as well, and I would say, again, this is, maybe this is one of the best pre title sequences of the, the whole series, really good
0: Yes, I, I completely agree Is this one of the best reveals of a Bond, do you think? Uh, not well uh, it is one of the yeah, best. Yeah. Is it the best? what what we compare it against, we've got Connery in the casino and Doctor No, which is probably it might be the best. Um then you've got uh, Lazenby, was he just in the car? Was it essentially a couple of shots? Him in the car. Him he in the got car.
1: In the back of his head and then a hand and then a torso, and then it kind of it slowly revealed different parts of him from what I remember until you eventually saw all of them on that. Was it in the car on the, as he was running down yeah. to the beach that you saw? Yeah something? Was,
0: yeah, something like that. And then obviously Roger Moore was in bed <laughs> with a woman, <laughs> which feels completely fitting. And That's sit you know with him. And then Dalton was was that on the the cliff when all the double O's were all getting taken out. And then
3: yeah, that was a great review. I mean, it's hard to yeah, that they were all they were all good. They're all good. I wouldn't. Mean, probably I don't really want to compare them, but it was yeah, like, yeah what a great review.
0: Yeah, I think probably the original Connery one is probably the best, but god damn they did really well with Pierce in this one. The shadow, the way he's shadowed and things like that, I loved that that kind of effect. The
1: silhouette as you went down, you saw the gun. Yes. That was just so... Yeah, I mean, I thought doing that, because trying to position yourself while you're head first on a bungee rope, because I mean, you've got gravity uh, kind of holding you back from kind of doing what you want to do. So the fact that they got him in that perfect pose where you had him in silhouette you saw his outline plus the gun i mean that was astounding the but it looks it it. the business
0: yeah it did Uh, the way Pierce Brosnan described it he said the stuntman had a tough job doing that because I think when you do these jumps I think I don't know if it's whiplash or whatever if you you have to keep your eyes at a certain is it upright or something like that you have to be looking essentially it it could have easily went horribly wrong when he was uh, at the sort of peak of the fall because he had to get the gun out and things like that and it could have easily went wrong and Pierce Brosnan said that the stuntman was worried initially about it but was able to do it really well so yeah yeah, impressive, impressive stunt, um, and a great intro to the film. Obviously, it leads into the intro with with Sean Bean again, shadowed uh, kind of meeting. I love that when he comes from the from the darkness into the light. Gordon, what's the the line he says to him in, in Russian? You've done it before.
3: Pobedush. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I would bring that back. She brought it out one time on one of her podcasts. Uh, yeah, again, I loved it, and it sets up all the little um, their dialogue throughout the entire section. Sort of bring it's a lot of callbacks later on. They, they sort of uh, you know last call, uh all that kind of stuff for England, James, for me. <laughs> yes. Sort of
3: yes, clever how they bring that back.
0: It's just, yeah, it's like all of our dialogue is, it's nine years before, <laughs> but they bring it back for this. It's fantastic when you think, it's, when you think about it, it's ridiculous, but it's great for, for the film. Um, but yeah, Orimov, I love Orimov in this film. The way he, every time he comes onto the screen, there's at, at least three times it happens. There's a sort of gong in the music, like a kind of ominous sort ch- of ch- bell sound or, th- you know, it's just to signal that we've got an imposing character entering the screen. I love it.
3: And I think as well um, we should maybe look at as how how 006 turned and I mean what you can take from it is the death was staged and it must have been well planned and it's interesting how he, he I was saying earlier there was hatred for Bond in the second half of the film and in some ways uh, I, I wonder quite why he had so much hatred for Bond, I wonder if as well it was partly a jealousy thing how 007 was always seen as Britain's best agent and he, it felt it seemed as though he wanted to be Bond a lot of ways but he maybe lacked the class he was a bit more sleazy so I'm like trying to kiss Natalia on the neck when she was trying to get away from him and stuff like that I don't know because sometimes I, I felt he um because they seem to hold that against Bond, The Bond set the timer for three minutes instead of the six, but Trevelyan, as far as he saw it, Trevelyan was probably dead anyway, or captured. He, you know, he, held, he was held at gunpoint bottom of, and he seemed to really hold that against Bond for the rest of the film. His absolute hatred for Bond, it isn't it, if Bond
1: had, you know, tried to kill him or something? Yeah. Yeah, I always assumed that was a, that was a betrayal thing. It was Bond, effectively, leaving him to die back in the... The facility, um, with a three-minute timer and stuff like that. But yeah, I suppose there is an element of—I mean, right at the very end, when uh Trevelyan turns to Bond and says, "I was always better than you," you can tell there was a kind of there is a there is a jealousy there. Absolutely, I think he oh, did that. want to be because he he does try to emulate Bond on the train with Natalia. You think, oh, this is how Bond does it. He tries to he just kisses women and they turn to him, and it obviously doesn't work for him. So there's a there's a frustration there that. He's not Bond.
0: The plot—we'll get to the plot in a minute—but that that sort of scheme. So he's kind of got this mission where he wants to show Bond died. So he elaborately comes to the mission. They nearly complete it, and then he sort of has Aramov a pretend to kill him. Is, is essentially what we're meant to believe. And then what? As soon as Bond radically escapes, he then—I mean—it the, the, looks like the the Russian guards are, are they meant to not have killed Bond then, so that the whole r- ruse. Made sense. Otherwise, if he died, Trevelyan would just get up and go, "All right, okay, uh, we're all good." Like that was that was fun for like fun scheme. Like the, the the plot, kinda doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're because,
3: right, you're right, yeah, yeah, right,
1: because
3: yeah, uh, because you think if he's going to, you, you'd think if Trevelyan was going to to um, you know, like defect or to um. You know, to become a double agent or whatever he would have done it under the radar. But the fact he chose <laughs> to do that mission, I don't know. If it was it was it meant to was it meant to ensure that Bond's mission failed as well? I don't know. It's it's um, open to interpretation, probably.
0: And they don't make it clear, Fran. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Um, well, I, I don't know. I I I kind of got the sense that Trevelyan didn't care if Bond got away or not because. It didn't. I, it really didn't really matter to him. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 I... Why,
0: why didn't Why why didn't Why didn't he just kill him in that shadowy room? Why didn't he just silence her to the face? Done, and then join and become Yanis right after that.
1: I wonder if perhaps he needed Bond to go back to MI6 headquarters and say, "Right, that's it. Trevelyan's dead. I know he's dead because I watched it happen." Mm-hmm. It provides him with an alibi almost, because Bond, as far as he's aware, saw. Trevelyan being shot. And also, it means that Bond lived for nine years thinking that he'd killed Trevelyan. So it kind of, I suppose, injects that element of guilt in Bond's head that he can kind of use later on. Or kind of put, it, it puts a dent in Bond in a sense. Yeah. And okay. it provides an alibi for him. I mean, okay.
2: I, definitely, definitely really? that makes a lot of sense. I think also, um, you know, there may have been the thought of what would the Soviets do if there was just, you know, they might there could be a, a kind of a can of worms if a British secret agent's just found dead in the middle of, you know what I mean? This facility, unless they disposed of him or something like that. But there'd be a lot of questions asked. I think it's probably probably mostly to do with Bond reporting back that Trevelyan's dead so that his identity's clean. Do you know what I mean? That nobody's looking for Alec Trevelyan anymore.
1: or Yeah, yeah, yeah. it stops anyone from sending people there too. Because you're right, if an agent went missing... if if James Bond went missing they'd send all their resources to the last place he was whereas if they send Bond back and say oh yeah Trevelyan's dead, no one's going to go there anyway, there's there's no reason I suppose
3: Yeah, That's why I think Bond was meant his death was staged and you only love twice, is
2: to get his enemies off his back so similar Uh in a way Yeah, exactly, I think as well um, I think Bond was the one that threw the wrench in the fucking machine by changing the timer I thought it wasn't meant to go that way no, certainly not, no. You know, and I, I reckon that's kind of what what maybe... So what do you think happened there then? Did Tre-
0: Trevelyan sort of get up, his, sort of himself off, run her through the facility, and then it obviously
2: blew up and he got a bit of a surprise? But it wasn't just that, though. I mean, it was the fact that he'd, he'd emptied all the gas canisters on top of all the men in there as well, just before he flew out through the conveyor belt. Or he, so all those gas canisters landed on Trevelyan, who was playing dead on the ground, <laughs> and then blew up, crushed him, and then blew him up. Yeah, and he probably had to spend weeks in the hospital recovering from broken bones and like burn injuries and stuff. Like God knows, I'm amazed that Urimov got out looking not all right. You know, <laughs> I love how Urimov later in the
3: film he just gets gradually more dishevelled looking, and he's turning to and all sorts of stuff, and he he has that wee bite of food in the train and he can't eat it he goes back to his hip flask and all that he just you can tell he's stressed and he looks unwashed and unshaven and all that
0: yeah I love Godfrey John in this film I think he's fantastic it's the little smirk he has when Bond like, he just can't believe this guy the way that he's, the lengths he goes to and it, like at the beginning we're still talking about preset title sequence that final stunt with the plane know, and, and he's actually like stopped his guards from chasing him he's just like what a, this is a suicide we're about to watch here he's about to dive off a cliff chasing a plane that's about to crash into the mountains let him do it and it's that kind of like knowing smirk that he's like got on his face I like that let's talk about that stunt <laughs> That is mental. Uh, I don't know how much of that was fully a practical stunt. I know this is the first film they used CG for some of the, the work in this film. Gordon, I don't know if you can attest.
3: Oh, that really? Yeah, I, I didn't know there was CG. I just know, I, as far as I know, this was the last 007 film to use extensive model work because the the actual facility itself, you can probably tell was a model. It was quite well done. The Severnaya dish was a model, the, the dish in Cuba, the, the train in certain shots. What I thought they think
2: looked like models. I thought they looked real. Well, oh, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Well, sir,
3: if you know that, if you know they are models, maybe then in hindsight you you can you can tell, yeah. Maybe, but they are realistic, and I'm I'm a model man and not a CGI man. But what what um, where where would you think there was CGI use? Because I, I I wasn't aware of that.
0: The act, not the not the model work. I'm talking about the plane as it's careering into the mountain, uh, and the, the the shot of the stunt man. I'm imagining what mid-flight trying to catch onto the plane. It looked like that might have been backward projection, possibly. I, I I'd feel bad if I'm if I'm wrong, and that was actually a stunt, and someone actually has chased a plane.
1: It's pretty certain that it was. It looked very green screen. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm not. I'm not doubting that. That. That that
3: wasn't real clearly that wasn't a real stunt but um and i'm sure there is you know maybe there was cgi i'm just i was just wondering because um i there certainly wasn't any notable cgi for maybe a couple of films but yeah it was uh that was an insane stunt and what the bit i really loved was probably bond trying to regain control the the plane and you think he's gone and then it reappears at the last second
0: yeah yeah, classic, classic, uh, how is he gonna give out of this? We all know he is, but it's that last second, and it's the sound, again, the music cuts out, it's quiet. And then the sound of the engine of the plane rising back over the mountain. And as the dam, blow, as the, the base blows up, fantastic. The model work we touched on, Derek Medding's work, he's the person, his model work, this is his last Bond film that he did the models for. He died as they were filming this film, I think, or right towards the end of when they filmed this film, so they dedicated it to him. So it's just to get a mention for Derek Meddings. Fantastic work from him. Um, the, the shot of the, the, the base blowing up though, did you not notice that all the soldiers were gone? Like the, far, the way, the way, like as if they all scuppered away. You know, I just thought it was a bit strange.
3: Some soldiers were a bit inept. Yeah. Like the the guy who ran down the runway just into Bond's line of fire.
0: It wasn't the best acting. That was not great. Some of those dives. That was like, you know, this is my first film. Jump when the director says jump. You know, you pretend you've been hit by a bullet. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the first scenes and talk about music. First of all, the title theme, Tina Turner. Written
1: by Edge and Bono. I did not realise that. That was a surprise when I uh, watched the because I, I knew it was Tina Turner. Didn't realise the song had been written by Bono on the Edge. That's slightly random, but it was the first few beats. It was it was the way the pre-title ended. You had the plane flying off, the bass exploding, and those three first notes of the opening of the uh, of the theme tune. It just um, fitted um, so well. It was just electric. That was fantastic, and it goes on. It's a very it's a low key song. It's not a big, belting yeah. anthem, but it's so, it's just, like, it's... achingly cool. <laughs> it's say just it the bass in it.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's kind of got some belting, the way that she screams Goldeneye towards the end. I mean, she really goes for it.
1: Oh, it soars. I think that's it. It's, it starts off low and then sort of slowly builds up. It's a slow build. It's, it's not a belting out Goldfinger in the first words. You but mean, it's oh such yeah. a cool tune. It's utterly I love it. It's the bass in it, I think, that does it for me. But it's uh it's just fantastically classy.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. And mixed with the title screens, this is the first one that, uh, Morris Binder, who previously had done all of the Bond films, he was, he's, he created the template for the previous 16 films. He died in, I think, 1991. So this was some some, God forgive me for not, I don't know, I don't know if you remember the name of the person who took on the role for the title screen, but they did done a fantastic job with the modernizing the Bond title screen. With the, the, music uh,
3: the Daniel Kleinman. And uh, it was the first, Computer giant gener- so that was CGI the title, I suppose. But uh, I think it was the first one that was kind of proper three D as well. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was great. It looked fantastic. The Soviet imagery. I love that. I loved it all the statues crumbling, the 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 wall falling down and, and the sort of breakup of the Soviet Union. Re- represented with scantily clad women hitting it with hammers. <laughs> uh yeah. It's that Bondian and twist I like I loved about it. It fitted really well. Fran. What
2: were your thoughts, I, I liked it. I thought it was. I actually was surprised how much I, I liked it because it's not usually the kind of song that I would. I would like. Do you know what I mean? It, it was. It was kind of. It was. It was quite a soft song in some ways. But what I, I, I loved, I absolutely loved the title sequence with all the Soviet imagery <clears throat> and the fact that they they kind of had. They really used it well, like the hammer and sickle. And you had the, the oh, obviously you've got naked women dancing around all the time, but they had the women holding the hammer, smashing the sickles with the hammers, you know, and and just things like that, like um, uh, imagery about the like you know beautiful women kind of opening their mouths with guns coming out, and you know emerging from bullet the barrel of a gun and things like that. Just the idea of of danger, you know, and yeah. things changing, just all of that. I thought it was great.
0: Okay, what What do you want to tackle next? I suppose the next scene, um, we'll just keep it on the music theme, it has that car chase sequence where the music is a little... A little questionable. Was that, funk
1: is that? Music? that was that was bizarre. I did not expect that. That almost harked back to... And every time I do this, the film goes out of my head, but there was another film where... It was 4 Only. Was only specific, was really it was really bad. Was that the, the funk? There was... Yeah, there was basically... It was...
0: The Spy Who Loved Me and the For, For Your Eyes Only were th- probably the weirdest musical choices so far we've
1: seen. Yes, because it didn't work at first, but as that car scene went on, the line from that funk kind of continued, and then it started to kind of it started to make sense. But yeah. the way it the way it came in after the pre title after the title sequence. It it jars massively. It kind of on it takes us that few seconds to go, hang on, what why is that music? What is that there for? And you kind of lose yourself. It 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 brings itself back, I think, in this case and starts to make sense eventually. But it it doesn't it doesn't start off too well. That was weird.
0: Now. I mean I like the chase. I like the sequence. Um, it's a fantastic introduction for Xenia. Uh, and again, it, it's yeah, it's it's just a shame that that music plays over it. That was the only point I've heard people criticising the music of the film. And that's the only scene that I think of when I think of where the music falters a little. Gordon, what's your thoughts?
3: I thought the music there was really odd. I really do. I think that I really enjoyed the the music around the facility the dam, the runway and the pre-titles. I thought that was one of the better parts. I think it's, it works in some parts of the film, the music, and in some parts it doesn't work so well. I like yeah. the Statue Park music. I like the kind of colder, darker side of music. I really don't like the music at the end on the cradle. I'll oh, have
0: to uh, disagree,
3: it, but I'll let It seems like, yeah... Um, it, it's just not Bond class for me. It seems like it's something that was just done quickly. Eric Serra just in some drunk night out tinkering with the piano. It just doesn't, it just like that's just not Bond music to me. And and then that song at the end, The Experience of Love, just doesn't fit. I even think though, although they aren't as bad, they started this trend round about just after I've used a kill. So from Love and Daylight, it's almost having kind of more kind of generic songs at the end of on, on credits and they weren't too bad in Living Daily, and in Licence but I, I, I didn't like that one I, and at least the, like I said when we were watching it, I think the music they actually had a different composer do the music from the the Tank Chase and it it, um, it brought the Bond theme back and I think that was one of the best that, that worked really well what I think to me as well, see when I think about this, I think of I know, yeah, fair enough, yeah, you think, oh, classic John Barry, yeah, you, yeah, you'd, you would love a John Barry score, in that. if if you had a John Barry score in this film, which could well happen, this would perhaps just be a perfect film, uh, but I even think, like, see, when you watch Tomorrow Never Dies, despite its flaws, the music with David Arnold, which is a more modern kind of on-theme, uh, different versions of, he kind of captured the essence of John Barry, and... I just wish he'd been brought in a film earlier. see even you've heard the likes of that. You just you wish you could marry like the score of Tomorrow Never Dies with the actual story of Gold, Goldeneye or something like that. So the the music, yeah, there was there's bits that worked, bits that didn't work so well.
1: Um, see, so you no, know, I think I'm with you in that. It was just, I think it was just that bit at the start. The rest of it, it wasn't a massively overstated, um, score. The music was very subtle, but it worked. I mean, you mentioned, for example, the sort of Pilgrimov uh, There's a, of like a sort of like a subtle Yeah. It wasn't it's you can't you almost you it's like you can't replicate it, but you know it was there. Um one but I think I don't know, the Natalia theme, I know you guys were saying in the chat that you quite liked it. I felt it was a little bit sort of sickly, cheesy, orchestrally, mm. sort of rom com esque. Obviously you I think you first heard it uh, just after the uh, um yeah, explosion, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I'm I, I, that, I felt a little bit. I thought it was a little bit sickly.
0: Okay, fair enough. That I can see. I can see where you're coming from on that. Uh, I personally, I I really actually like the music. Tackling the, the sort of the more ominous stuff, I really like throughout the scenes. The scene when Urumov and Xenia enter the base, uh, and when he says he's kind of, he's code General Urumov, head of space division, and at the moment that gong sounds when it hits the, the light shits to sort of signal that he's got clearance. It's that kind of like, oh, it just gives me a kind of buzz every time. It's like this, he's coming to do badness here, and it's just the timing of it all. like up really well and again it's when they turn the levers for the golden eye and it's it's like it just it all worked really well I think that entire section was great and uh, the, the, the Italia theme I, I liked it I think it added something for me it, it had a, I think because again it does maybe come down to this is my first Bond film and I believed in the love story and I believed in because I didn't have the history of what Bond is like so this is his first <laughs> relationship in my eyes you know so it maybe is that where I just Believed in her as this, his female equivalent. And this, I just liked it. So maybe that adds to it. Uh, maybe, um, I'm looking into it a little too much. Uh, and the, the music at the end, Gordon, that you touched on that you don't like. I love it. I've used to have that stuck in my head all the time. <laughs> it feels like Indiana Jones or something. Like, I, I still love it. I, I just, it, it worked for me, just that's all I can say. Um, but yeah, it, it was different and I could see where people would criticise Eric Serra's score and maybe John Barry might have done something different. Uh, Apparently so,
3: John was... Barry got approached for this and I think he, get, he was close to doing Tomorrow Never Dies but I just think, uh, see if you had one of his scores, this would just be the perfect film.
2: I don't know, but like, like, do you know what, i got to disagree with like with that because I've like, I, I got to say I'm not like, the, I'm never going to be fan of Bond, the way I'm a fan of Star Trek and things like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I'm going to always see it from a different perspective. Like, I find big changes like if it's good, like, to be quite refreshing. Like, I, I I think some of the work on the music in this, like the Statue Park, which I think Gordon you liked that as well. Um, and there was some other parts that I thought were were the kind of music that John Barry just it's not his style and it wouldn't have been the same film if he'd tried to do something like that and i think that kind of haunting spooky you know and, and understated kind of it went right along with the idea of a decayed fallen apart drab country just this kind of ghostly echoey empty feeling and then you had your bit of classic bond there with the tank scene where it was where they said they hired someone else to do that didn't they there was some other composer who came in yeah to do but, uh, but but what it goes to show is that anyone really could come in and do a classic bond score it's not yeah. a unique thing it's a it, it, john barry came up with it but all you need to do is is uh, and i think um uh god who was the guy that did the last one michael Kamen? He did a, uh, not, yeah. did a not bad spin on the John Barry style, so it's not really John Barry. It's just knowing when to get the Bond theme in there at the right time. Yeah, that, that's why I said David Arnold. Look, is maybe the best option would if,
3: see if we'd got David Arnold in a film earlier because his Tomorrow Never Dies score is absolutely out of this world, and you know I had a few great ones after that. I think he did about four films, and he he brought the classic Bond touch into the modern era. So it's not necessarily a film that. Need a John Barry score, but um just it needed something to bring it to life a bit more and there was a lot of, there was just a lot of filler in there, I thought. I but, but like I you didn't... said, there was bits that worked well and the like the statue. I mean, uh, you know, I can't can't fall
2: that at all. I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's just I, I think it was a creative choice that was made precisely because of the way that the movie wanted us to feel. I would <laughs>
3: say see once we watch Tomorrow Never Dies next week, I, I would um, I would say uh, it's maybe worth after watching that and reminding. But tomorrow never uh, dies
2: is not as good a film as Goldeneye.
3: Yes, yeah, yeah. no, I know, but it's the that's the difference a score can make, though I think, Fran.
2: Well, but by that reasoning, tomorrow never dies would be a better movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not a better movie, but it's a you know it's a better score. I know, but I think where I'm disagreeing with you on this is I liked, I love the score. Do you know what I mean? For, for apart from two, one or two bits. Do you know what I mean? So I think. I think the, the the bone of contention with this movie is going to be around the score, because I think a classic fan is going to hate it, not hate it, but they're not going to like it as much as, do you know what I mean? Because it's not got all the motifs running through the film, whereas someone who is tracking the thing for the first time as a more kind of casual viewer is going to enjoy that. But then again, I, I, I'm i looking at it as a fan in a different sense in the way that I'm a fan of the game, GoldenEye, and the music's very similar to the film. Yeah.
0: I could hear. I could hear where the the game composer, uh, Grant Grant yep. took many of the the sounds of this film, and and that I think that I have to admit, there's a lot of enjoyment I'm getting just from that alone.
2: There's a bias there. There's a bias, but then again, even when it comes to things like Star Trek, like I I I liked Star Trek. Like when they changed up the soundtrack a bit, like I didn't want it to always be the classic Star Trek hero theme. Do you know what I mean? Like. I, I, I guess I just have a different... Because I make music, I have a different view on music, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Like a, like refre- Like the, the, the whole process of what music's trying to make you feel. Do you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> music in this film was trying to make you... F- it was trying to evoke the sense of... It was almost like being in an empty chamber made out of concrete that was dripping water that was filled with ex-Soviet broken machinery. Do you know what I mean? Just that whole feeling of of just being somewhere that's broken and abandoned and drab. And like even the toilets at the start of the film, like the tiles and the walls were unwashed. They got that, the fridge when the, the cook was taking stuff out of it, everything just looked and sounded so hollow yeah. and cold, you know. Yeah. Okay.
3: There's no there's no right or wrong with the music. It's I suppose it's just different opinions, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think we're we're divided on this. I think there's about two versus two on where we sit with it. But uh yeah, okay. Let's move on from the music. Let's talk about what do we feel is the next bone of contention. Oh no, I, I can
2: tell you right now actually uh, Natalia's bloody We all had different feelings on this I think about right, where okay, Natalia
0: Let's talk about Natalia as a character first before we go into any areas like where it's problematic.
2: Uh, well, I don't know if it, I don't know if it was so much problematic apart from one bit, but I no, I think let's was just great.
0: talk about Natalia first just yeah. as a character.
2: Well, I, she's she's pretty I t- I think she's quite f- fairly fleshed out for us for a side character I suppose in the sense that she's I mean she she isn't really filling the role of a female lead in this film fully. But she's got a job She's an expert in a sense in the computer computer programming. You see a bit of her life and what she's up to and her friends and things like that. Um, you see her reactions to her friends' deaths and how she, you know, she's trying to get away. She's got a plan of some kind. She knows she's got where, the wherewithal about her to know that the government's pro- or someone is going to want her dead. Do you know what I mean? Like, she she knows when to like. She can she can clearly tell people what she wants them to do when she wants them to do it. Uh, she's quite um, forthright in that sense, like shut up and get on with it kind of thing. Um, sarcasm. quite a, quite a well rounded character, I thought.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, Gordon. It was
3: quite interesting how it focused on her for such a long time. It was almost like a soap opera, and she was she became the main character for a, a long time. And I don't I don't think that had been quite done before with one of the the leading Bond girls. It, it, it was that was a nice kind of change up.
0: I like yeah, that. that. I like that. It it shows that. Well, it it invests you in her character, and her plight, and obviously building to the scenes with the massacre and things like that. Um, it it really showed you were able to get into what
2: it was her perspective. Yeah, uh, and and that's that's precisely leading into my my the fact that I wasn't so happy with some of it because she was so good in some ways, but again, I just get the sense that it's almost as if bond is written by a load of guys who are single and have never met a woman before and never <laughs> had a relationship. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. you seem to understand how women work or people work in the real world. Right now, yeah. now, like I said, in the group chat, if romance blossomed every time there was a crisis, I would have been the luckiest guy in the world. Cause I, I would have had many relationships or, or dalliances over the years, every fucking week like when something went wrong and I was standing next to a girl who was there at the time. Do you know what I mean? Like that we went through it together and then suddenly they kissed me. Do you know what I mean? Or they allowed me to just completely ravish them on the spot for no reason, right? But Natalia, I think, in this, I was surprised re-watching it again because I hadn't watched it for a while and I, was th- I, I, I don't remember ever having too much of an issue with it, but I found myself annoyed again, thinking she gets out, they get out of the train together They've been arguing. There's a bit of chemistry between them, but you don't just kiss someone like that. It doesn't work like that. It's like no, it, it's 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 naively written. has always been through all the Bond films. I think it's naively written, and then and then the cherry on top of that is the fact that once they have actually established that they feel romantic for each other, Bond still feels the need to forcefully kiss her and not let her get away. And it's like, I would never dream of having done that to any of my girlfriends I've had over the years. I, I, do you know what I mean? Like, I would have been slapped in the face at the very least or dumped. Do you know what I mean? If I'd even thought of. I mean, you hear about people getting in trouble, married couples, like men getting done for things that they do. Do you know what I mean? It's not a prerequisite. It's not, sorry, it's not a a, a reason or a or, or permission. So there's a couple of bits there. And, and it just, it's getting to the point now where it's like, right, you know I'm studying teaching right now. And teachers sometimes feel this way about pupils, where you get to a point where you've, you 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 say twenty days have gone by or something like that of teaching time, and you've said the same thing twenty times. And eventually, you're just in your mind. You're just like, for fuck's sake, man! You must have under like, you know this is clear now. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm talking about someone who maybe uh, like hasn't got some underlying thing going on where that you can understand would make it more difficult, right? And I feel that way about the Bond films. Where it's like, you've had however many fucking decades now, you know, to understand this simple, simple thing about writing, about how human beings work, you know, and it just yeah, can't it seem major, to do it. It just can't seem to do it,
1: ever. It's the it's the major flaw in her character and it annoys the hell out of me because she was such a dominant force on the train where she was effectively telling, she she took control of the situation, she took the computer and was the one shouting to Bond, come on, get us the hell out of here. Uh-huh. And then immediately after, the speed with which she effectively came on to him, it was within seconds of that explosion and stuff. And you're right, it's, it's written for the fans that the writers assume want Bond to get it on with every woman he comes into contact with. It didn't work. And I, the scene immediately, I think it immediately followed that where Bond was sitting looking mopey on the beach and Natalia comes up to him.
0: I think it's uh, a couple of scenes later because the, the next scene is them in the car. Yeah, they're in the car first, then Wade gives them the plane, I'm That's sure. right.
1: And in that scene, the two of them are sort of happy and chatting and kind of ribbing each other and she's going on about how much she loves Cuba. And then there's that weird scene on the beach where yeah, she comes up to... I don't quite understand what that was there for. or what, I mean, it didn't really establish anything. It didn't do anything. It was just... It was a sort of it was it's helped set up the necessary gratuitous sex scene, it's but that drama. scene annoyed me. It's just yeah, drama. it was.
2: I mean, it, 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 I have no time for it anymore. No excuses left. I did say this before. My patience level was going down with this the franchise in the sense of this particular thing. It's like I gave it a pass for the sixties. I gave it a pass for the seventies. I gave it a, l- a little bit less of a pass for the eighties. We're getting into the it's the nineties now. It's like for fuck's sake, man. It's like in 40 years, none of you guys have fucking got married and had a wife. Have any of you ever had an explosion where you had to run out of the train with your wife? Did your wife kiss you right afterwards? No, she's not going to kiss you if your credit card doesn't work at the fucking shop. Do you know what I mean? It's like life doesn't work that way.
0: This was this was an action film made in the nineties. Speed. This is like Speed. Speed to that happens. It's, it's all the action films of the nineties. It was. Do
2: you know it even happened in, in goddamn God Star, Star Wars? It even happened in goddamn Star Wars. This year was it? This year or last year? When was it? The last one came out this year. Remember, films
0: they have to get the point across quickly within a few scenes. They don't have the the time frame that TV shows can give, where they can really let sh- like chemistry build over. Now,
2: does a woman have to have. fancy Bond? That's my question. Why does she have to? It doesn't have. It's you know if if that's what demand a demand of of people who who watch the films. I think it's an unreasonable demand.
1: Uh, I, I, I'm actually with you on that. I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. There are, there are. I mean, Steve, you're absolutely spot on. In that you, you're right. They have to. They have to establish the characters and their motives and whatnot quickly because they don't have the luxury of several episodes, for example, that uh, a sitcom or a, a series might have. But it's there is, I think, this thinking within the writers that this scene needs to happen. And when you watch it, I think particularly now, but when you watch it, you do think, why is this happening? And the only explanation I can come up with is that the writers... Assume that it's what the people who are going to watch the film want to see, and have mm. therefore kind of shoehorned it in for them, yeah. when yeah. it just it is it is actually unnecessary to and me it, in the broad I scheme mean, of I, things.
0: I, I I get that in a sense, but I feel like it'd be it's weird to apply that to this film as the first time in the sense that well, it's not either, the first time. Um, why does that, the the, the nineteen the mid nineties are st- we're still not the most enlightened of times? we really haven't progressed since t- twenty seventeen was me too, and that's when really things are changing now. No, but I, it's not.
2: It's not. It's not so much about that. It's more. It's like if look Natalia's not someone who's part of the mission that's got something that Bond needs in the Do you know what I mean? He's already got her on side they're there together, right? Now there's two types of things. Like I will accept that Bond will seduce and sleep with a woman under, like, I, and and do inappropriate things for the mission, like, and 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 you kind of have to accept that. But in this case, I think it was Natalia that actually kissed him, wasn't it? Well, that's why I bought into
0: it, right? Because it wasn't a forceful thing on Pierce's point of view or on Bowen's point of view. It was actually Pierce Brosnan, handsome as fuck guy. He looks cool as hell. He's 41 at this point, I'm sure. And he looks great. Secret agent who's saved her life uh, a number of times. rescued, Went through St. Petersburg, causing all sorts of horrible collateral damage in a tank and rescued her from certain death. Uh, obviously, she's established. He's established a secret agent. Very interesting job. It would be probably, I think, most women at that point would probably be quite attracted to him. I think it wouldn't have been unreasonable. It's not like um, that was an unreasonable scene for that to. I, I actually don't. I don't get that.
2: No problem. I, 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 there's two points going on here. I don't see why all the women have to fancy Bond, but I also have no problem with her having an attraction towards him that maybe was shown. I just don't think. Starting that process off right after an intense explosion on a train right beside it is the time or the place, and it didn't strike, it didn't ring true for me at all. Maybe they just didn't have to. That, cast. I
1: think, I think that actually hits it. It's the, it's the timing of when it happened. I think the the romance was inevitable, but the point at which it happened and the speed at which it went from not to sixty, was I think it's it, it was jarring. It stood out too much, and it was it was wrong. I think.
0: I mean, was it not to sixty? It was just a kiss. It wasn't like she—they jumped on each other right there and then. It showed all sort of knickers flying up in the air and stuff
1: like that. It was—it it, it went to that from a kind of absolutely nothing. Um,
2: right, well, I, well, yeah, I mean, there
1: was there was no build up at all. I mean, it, it went from okay, it went from not to thirty-five, maybe, not to sixty. I is let's move really on. Let's,
0: no. let's, Gordon, let's let's hear your first point, and then we'll move on because we're taking a lot of time on this. I've got a story uh, yeah. in me as well, though. After this, right? Hey right, God.
1: I
3: was just going to say um, why we you even talking about that for about ten minutes because there's nothing. No, Well, it's not. I don't think it's too significant. I, I, I think. Yeah, I do think it did kind of happen a bit, a bit. Quickly, like I think they could have um, let it get to Cuba and they become closer <laughs> to each other because they're spending more time together and all that sort of stuff. It didn't ha- have to happen right there and then after the train. But yeah, me? let's move. You're let's can't. move on.
0: I want to finish. I just finish with this. For me, for the way you guys, I think want to. I think you'd had to have added ten minutes to the film and and ruin some of the pace. I think uh, I, there might have been a, cr- a clever way for them to do it in another uh, ten seconds or whatever. But. It's part of the, the skill in editing and pacing, and I felt this film was paced. It's one of the things I love about this film. And I don't think there's much of a lull the way that a lot of people would say the Bond films do have. Anyways, let's well, let's see your story very quickly then. Can happen. It's happened to me
2: once, once years ago when I was like, you, if you're going to tell a story, you're going to brag about you. No, it's it's just really weird. It's just really strange, right? And it's it's one of those things where it's happened to me once in what 34 years. So it's very highly unusual right, okay. uh, and that to happen, for that to happen in a crisis. But I mean I was knocked out cold in the situation. I got knocked out, basically, and and then awoke to someone kissing me. But it it was such an but it, 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 it was such a bizarre Isn't
0: isn't that just CPR or whatever? Isn't that just mouth to mouth? I did I did think that at first. You might have misinterpreted their intentions. <laughs> I hope they didn't
2: use tongue or anything like that. But the thing uh, is you you know it it sticks in your mind because it's so you know i mean like i feel like it's we're making more of
0: it but let's let's move on sorry fran yeah what were we
2: gonna say i'm just saying people don't usually like there's a suspension of disbelief when it comes to movies like like when you go and see a sci-fi film you believe that people can travel through space or like there's there's things that you you suspend your disbelief do you know what i mean and i think all of us have a different like spectrum for what we can like when you pick that out
0: more than anything else that happened in that film you wouldn't it's like kind of a little unfair because there's so many things that are ridiculous in that film the plot I think the plot is barmy like the plot just doesn't make sense Yanis and the syndicate that doesn't I mean it's, I love it I love it but it is barmy like how the hell the train that
2: nobody, nobody detected I haven't kind of gone into this too much but like doing creative writing at uni for the, for the four years I was there for the undergrads I did creative writing and journalism and the creative writing side of it all the guys that came in and the women that came in and taught us said, "It doesn't matter what else you do; just make the characters believable. Right. The humans okay. have to be believable." Do you know what I mean? So all the other stuff, you, like it's easier to suspend disbelief for plot; it's easier to suspend it for setting. But hu- we are human; we know how we feel. Do you know what I mean? So, um, as a uh, from that perspective, I guess I haven't made that clear on, on any of the podcasts. Like that's was always kind of drummed into me as like the number one thing to think about when you are writing. Just... Anything, you know.
3: Just right. imagine you're at high school and you're two, the two creative writing teachers or English teachers are Roald Dowell and, uh, and, what's his name, Richard Maybam. <laughs> so you
0: only love twice writers then? <laughs> uh, do you know right, I'll, Okay, I actually be taught by uh,
2: people from the past, do you know what I mean, it would be amazing, it would be amazing to get their insights and see what they were thinking.
0: Right, okay, okay, let's move on. Uh I mean, we covered Natalia. You wanted to just talk about a general on the rest of the supporting cast. We've got Boris Grishenko, Alan Cumming. I liked him. Uh, he is a villain in the film, but he is a different type of villain again, uh, with his brown flunky shirt. Uh, I'm Invincible. Like, There's sort of fantastic lines in the film. Yeah. What do we think about Boris?
3: Yeah. I thought he was coming out at times as well. Yeah, yeah, I liked him. I thought he was good, and you could tell he's he's a bit of a slimy character. He wasn't. You got the impression he wasn't well liked by the the other folk at Severnaya. He's like that's when the hunted becomes the hunter. That he sounds sure. well Scottish there. I know. Alan that's a thing in
0: Yeah, you've got like what two Scottish actors doing Russian? You've got Alham and Robbie Coltrane. You've got Famke Jansen, I don't know where she's from, but I know she's not Russian. She's, she's, from- yeah, she's Dutch. Dutch, uh, Isabella Skorupko as well, Swedish slash Polish. Uh, I don't think anyone was Russian in this film, but, um, uh, yeah, Boris, fantastic character. Michigan, I like the, the interrogation scene with Bond, the, the lost art of an interrogation scheme you were talking about, and, you know, the boys with toys dialogue, you know, I just, yeah, it's really good stuff. Is there anything else
1: you guys Michigan's want to bring up? Michigan's was something else. I'll just make that very <laughs> brief point. Michigan's Beards was just—I couldn't take my eyes away from it. That bizarre pyramid shape.
3: Yeah. Uh, it stood out. Yeah.
1: Uh, can I just say that was my favorite Q scene of any film, Bond film we've seen so far? I absolutely—it's okay. the one that sticks in my head. In fairness, but just—it was—it was. It was I think after two very serious Bond films, we needed a little bit of light relief, and the cue scene, I think, did it perfectly. It was a sort of nice mix of... It It got the point, it told you what the gadgets were and stuff, and set up the film, but the bits of comic relief, the phone box and stuff, was just that little split second where the guy's being wheeled away in the background after having sort of blown up inside the phone box, Yeah, and um, the humour there... Was like, the when he picked up the it sandwich? Funny.
0: Yeah, the sandwich line is fantastic because normally he picks up his gadgets and it's like, "Don't touch that!" And you're expecting it's maybe a gadget with like a laser that comes out of it, but it's just, "That's my
3: lunch." <laughs> <laughs> it was great to see <laughs> as well. <laughs> instant, instant chemistry there between the new Bond actor Pierce Brosnan and Desmond and It lasted for a few films. I think they maybe were a bit too pally in that particular. Q branch seen that uh, there was a bit more kind of coldness between <clears throat> them, and tomorrow never dies because you got to remember it started off on a guy that Q really didn't like, and they're maybe getting a bit too pie, but you know, it was good and, and so good to maybe, see Llewellyn yeah. back again after you know six years away, and, and he's still there. At, you Know as well because, and again, it's con- that continuation, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I don't know, I don't mind the, the, if this is the their sort of friction has softened. It has been, if you're meant to believe this is the same Bond character, it is the 17th time that we have seen him being introduced to gadgets. So maybe after a while, that you know, they, they, he's been on missions with him in the last film. He, he yeah, it's actually
3: yeah. makes sense, like, it actually, would make <laughs>
0: sense, that
2: become be- more pals. Yeah.
3: because he's starting to like Bond now that I think about it and licensed to kill. I mean, he was. He was basically risking his job for bond yeah, so, but yeah. um i, I guess wouldn't, wouldn't maybe, maybe yeah i suppose so but then he kind of goes back to being a, them having a bit frost to really maybe into tomorrow never dies i don't know but i maybe i just liked it more when there was tension between them but he did when you think about it in the movie you know, he did kind of gradually um soften towards bond and he ended up like i said risking his job for him pretty much and licensed
2: yeah. to kill
0: yeah i feel like we Before we move on to M, which I feel we have to talk about Judi Dench more, uh, I want to just finish on the fact that the car, we get introduced to all of these gadgets for a car that is not used primarily for any of those gadgets. Uh, a bit, that's one of the, the issues I have with the film. It's essentially a massive promotion for BMW because a deal was made at the very last stages of this film to get the car in there and then there was no scenes for it. It's ridiculous.
1: This it felt like the start of Bond being a promotional tool for other brands because there was a scene obviously with the tank and he crashes into a massive Perrier lorry. And you know, that was that was a walking billboard, a driving billboard, I should say. And I don't think we've seen as much of the blatant product placement in any of the previous films. And I know it's something uh-huh. that obviously brands pay millions for now to be featured in um in the Eurobond film. So this is this is kind of the start of that downfall, which is a little bit sad to see.
0: Uh uh. Uh-huh. I think unfortunately it, it did start. I think with "For Your Eyes Only." I was rewatching that. The commentaries for that, and it <laughs> Roger Moore of all people, he's doing his commentary. He he just points out all the companies. There's uh, whatever I can't remember the, the different companies. Just, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. And it's just really <laughs> it was more
1: yeah. subtle in previous films. Then, but yeah,
0: maybe the fact maybe. that it
1: brings on. This is your uh, BMW Z6 five speed gearbox. It was it was like Bond had walked into the BMW showroom
0: yeah it was that's that was pretty poor i always as a kid was confused as to why we were being shown this car and then it's just like for one scene where he's driving through uh the scenery and and, then uh (coughs) the scenery and then yeah cuba and it's like okay well that's it that's the car okay cool have a nice car uh all right then, let's move on to Judi Dench as M. Fantastic addition, fantastic casting. I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. I Don't know if there's anything else you guys want to add, but I just loved the scenes with her and Tanner, uh, Tanner and Bond when they discover the the MIGs uh, exploding into the the Severnaya base, and then even the scene with just Pierce Brosnan as Bond in M's office, and it sets the the dynamic between the two and how things have changed. Yeah, I loved it.
1: Yeah, I like the way that. she calls them out is just you know you're this sexist misogynistic dinosaur etc etc i think again we've been waiting for that we've been waiting for someone in authority to say that to bond for 17 films so that felt quite cathartic like that
2: yeah it it was it was interesting because it it, what i thought was really quite quite good about it was that it wasn't it, it was it was a response to his criticism if that makes sense but but of then her, again yes. uh-huh, But Bond's criticism was actually valid And her criticism was also valid So they do kind of cancelled each other out like, Do you mean that Do you mean Bond challenging her on her use of Analytics
0: and numbers and not instinct uh-huh. I love yeah. that Because love clearly that.
2: Something, something had gone wrong do you know what I mean? Information wasn't there, and and it wasn't right. But then again, yeah. that doesn't take away the fact that she was also right in what she said to Bond. And I think the point she was making was it was like basically you can criticise, but it doesn't change the facts, does it? It doesn't actually, you know, you're going to be who you're going to be. Do you know what I mean? You're yeah. going to see me who how you see me, and I'm going to see you how I see you. Do you know what I mean? And and that's effectively how how things are. And that's quite a actually quite a quite a um. A mature viewpoint for a film, certainly at the time when it came out, because, and I think it's almost more mature than people's views now, in a sense, because it was kind of accepting of 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 what it was, it was, it was calling it out, but also accepting the reality that bureaucracy exists, that old dinosaurs exist. Do you know what I mean? That that there's a spectrum to these people that of of good and bad, as well. That Bond has good points, and so does M as well so i thought it was a good i thought she was excellent and i thought you know she's she's got once a hell of a set of eyes on her hasn't she She stares at the camera you know she's looking right out the screen at you judy dench yeah those those blue those blue eyes
0: like they really i don't know if they lit them differently or something there was this imagery but
2: yeah she had she had a cold stare she was like your manager or something like that and she you were in her office and she was like drilling into you. I mean you'd be shitting it. Yep. You'd be shitting yourself. Yeah.
0: Uh okay. Uh is there anything else you guys want to talk about? We'll probably need to start trying to wind this up. Is there anything else you want to talk about? As many things I would love to talk about, but I'll have to try and get them all in my rating review if I can, but
2: well, I think we've covered all the kind of, I think we I feel like well, for me I don't want to speak for everybody, but I feel like I've covered kind of all like the the, the bits I'd want to talk about, I guess.
0: I'm just looking at my notes. For some reason, I was puzzled as to why Boris had the pen. Bond's exploding pen. When did he get that?
1: I was trying to work that out as well. I don't ever... I don't know if he... Yeah, I did not notice the point at which he got that pen. You're absolutely correct there.
0: Yeah, i I feel like there must have been a deleted scene now. maybe I'll come across it in the bonus features it explains maybe they took all of Bond's stuff off of he, when he captured him and then this is a scene when Boris picks it up or something but it did not make sense as to how we were supposed to know that that pen is going to blow up you, you obviously could tell from the focus on Pierce when he's looking at it to know that something is up with Boris doing that twiddly thing uh, with the pen but it wasn't obvious as to when he got that pen uh, unless uh, they, unless they were funded by MI6 and they were all issued the standard issue
2: explosion pens. <laughs> Bond, um, didn't he drop the pen in that scene? See, I thought it might have been because he,
1: he
2: did. Thought... I'm pretty sure he dropped the pen when the guards grabbed him and then Boris just picked it up. No,
0: maybe. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe I missed it. Because I've, I've missed that a few times and I've
3: always wondered that. So I'd, it must be I think yeah. Because Trevelyan had somebody maybe search one. He took his watch off and took his gun off and took all his stuff off him. And, but how it ends up in Boris is like Boris just because he's this computer program because of his wee idiosyncrasies he needs a pen in his hand and he picks that yeah. one up I don't know
2: no, I'm I almost certain that it had fallen down on the ground and when Boris got slapped by Natalia he, he went and picked it up on the way back yeah okay
0: uh last thing, I think we haven't really talked a lot about Sean Bean as the main villain. Uh so before we get to the ratings, I think we just have a few minutes just talking about him as Yanis, uh, the uh, the sort of main villain that is revealed and 006 of course at the beginning of the film. What what's our thoughts? Uh obviously I'm a big fan of his performance, but how else do we feel about him?
2: Yeah, I think he was great. I think Sean Bean has that that ability to play a very convincing good guy and a very convincing bad guy he's quite he's quite versatile in that way i think he he sort of come he he, he almost had a kind of a creepiness to him with this sort of you know um kind of manic thing in his eyes talking about his, when he was in the statue park talking about his past and and about how he remembered things that people thought he didn't remember All this kind of, i don't want to go too deep into his motivations but he, he certainly had like Sean Bean certainly was able to get across that mania, that sort of controlled mania that was going on with Trevelyan. Yeah. And and also that Trevelyan, like, he, he would get angry when Bond would call him a thief, a common thief, and things like that, because I think he had <laughs> ideas of himself. Mm-hmm. And I think Sean Bean really brought that across. I thought it was, I thought the villain was excellently written and excellently played. I don't the really
1: Statue know. Park was fantastic, I thought. Yes. I yep. really, really, just the point where Bond, because it's, it's obviously the last thing Bond's expecting, and I, I do quite enjoy seeing Bond in a state where he doesn't know what's going on or experiencing some kind of shock or confusion, and he was legitimately shocked to see Alec.
0: But I think you have to give Brosnan the credit there. He looked absolutely stunned. Like, he really does look
1: really shocked. That was an incredible bit of reaction. Is this acting. where we find out that and nobody the, had told...
2: Pierce Brosnan, the Alex the um, <laughs> is played by Sean
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> <What the>? I, his, <laughs> so as well. Between the two was just I loved it. You get the whole backstory and stuff, and the back and forth between the two was just the the emotions coming out there. the The surprise followed by the sheer spite, the hatred on both sides. Yeah. It was just dripping with contempt. I was, I was really. Beautifully done.
0: Yeah, the lighting as well. I loved the staging of the shots. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, and the scene, the reveal of, as Yanis walks out of the uh, hiding. Um, uh, just a great reveal. Matching, I suppose, his first reveal when he came out of the shadows. Yeah, perfect scene. Uh, Gordon, you anything to add on that?
3: Yeah, I think Sean Bean is a very versatile actor. And versatile accent. He, he didn't come across... Uh, some of the Yorkshireman in that as well. And uh, yeah, I just, I love the whole 007, 006 battle and how he holds on to the past. I like how he bought, brought up a bit of Bond's history, about how his parents died. And I, I like the whole, the, the conspiracy theory, not theory, sorry, the conspiracy angle of the plot. You know, it's it's not just one guy behind the scenes. So it's a, an ex-MI6 agent who becomes the head of a crime syndicate he joins forces with some renegade general, and then they join forces with uh, basically an assassin in Xenia. And th- that that kind of three different, so you know, Xenia, net is just, forces is, she just a- is like...
0: So what is she then? Does she just work for Yana? I thought
3: she just worked for Alex
0: Trevelyan, and she was high up in his organisation.
3: Well, was she not a freelancer? Because when Bond did a background check on her when he was in the, the Aston Martin money pay, comes back saying she was a, a Soviet fighter. Pack. I think she's essentially like a, a gun for her. But it was kind of... One of the things I liked about Octopussy was how different kind of the criminals joined forces as part of the overall plot. And I think the same thing happened in this. I like kind of conspiracy plots.
0: Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Uh, I was going to say something, but I've forgotten what it was.
3: Was it the rating?
0: Um, no, it was something else I wanted to touch on. Uh, I'll just have to leave it at that. I mean, it was just essentially the after the Fantastic Fight sequence you've got the Alec Trevelyan's death. I don't know how the hell he survived that God knows how many high feet from falling from the cradle because he clearly has a few seconds where he's still alive and able to scream as the cradle then falls on top of him.
3: Uh. <laughs> I think as well. The thing that got me that that end sequence there was what a risky maneuver by Bond trying leaping onto that that Rio. I don't know what you call him. Natalia pulls up the helicopter and he's got a good view. Oh, Feet to leap. I mean, how how would you be able to grip onto that? I know. I still she like brought it in a bit closer
2: after after a brutal fight as well. I know. And how the fuck did he hold on all that time? I mean, I would have been shitting myself, holding on, like <laughs> leaping on, holding on to that yeah. thing. I thought, knowing my luck, my my sweaty palms will I'll slip while I'm being rescued. Do you know what I mean? Like, couldn't she have thrown?
1: around? Yeah, one of those. there's those some fairgrounds have been to where they've got those challenges where you have to hang onto a bar for two minutes, and if you do it, you get like. They give you fifty quid or whatever. It just that was kind of what I thought of. It's it's an impossible feat. I mean, I suppose it's bonds, but yeah, yeah, that that seemed a little bit. Um, there was a better way of doing it than make. She could have lowered the helicopter a few inches and let him jump in, rather than making him hold on to the bar underneath. I
0: feel like there's a- yeah, th- th- he might hit the rotors then. or <laughs> There might have been all sorts of ways he could die. It'd be a... Yeah, who knows? But yeah, I know what you mean. There's
2: something that they could have done to try and make that look a bit more believable. Well, I suppose it was the fact that it was going to explode. Do you know what I mean? Like there was no time to to go up yeah. above. But I, I I do think it was implausible for him to have hung on all that time. I, I, I was going
3: a... for I was kind of going for style in the the typical Bond way. I think yeah, holding yeah. to the helicopter.
0: I mean, the tank the, the chase sequence that had that scream, I mean, the, the, the collateral damage, the fact that how many people must have he murdered during, during that scene that, you know, casually, because he's trying to save Natalia, uh, and probably as well, all those bricks must have, some bricks must have landed on him, surely, because that was an open-top tank he was in, was it? No, I didn't think it had a, I don't know, it didn't look as if there was a lid, but it looked like there was all sorts of building bricks and things that landed on him. He seemed okay with that. <laughs> once we again he got to the entire is. film with a scratch
2: on him. No time to die.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the last thing I want to say, I just noticed a man. I'm just reading my notes to see what uh, brings things to my mind. The train driver on the Yanis train. I love the train set, by the way. That that like the the scene, of the train, and the setting. Uh, but the the driver of that train, uh, that Yanis tells him ram him, <laughs> and the guy's like yeah, and then just does it, and it's like well that the, he must have died, right? Because that entire <laughs> like obviously bonfires the the rocket from the the tank, so. I'm guessing that guy just decided... Yeah, I'll ram him, even though it's probably... He <laughs> <a time.
3: laughs> it might have been lucky because the, the, the cab of the locomotive was at, at, was at the rear of the locomotive, so maybe it's time oh, to maybe. jump. I don't do you know what got me there. I thought that that's a hell of a... That, the approach to that tunnel seemed to take a, a long time when he zoomed in on the camera, but... <laughs>
0: You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right then. I think we're we're way over what we should do. So I think we sh- we will have to come to the rating. Then you want to mention, bring it up on your rating. All right, Fran. Let's we'll start with you. Where, where, what's this film for you?
2: Well, it's a weird one because I thought it was going to be higher than what I'm going to give it.
0: Oh dear. The two star. I'm, I'm hearing a two star here. <laughs>
2: nothing. Nothing as dramatic as that. I think I I was thinking I was going to give this a five star. Basically, and I'm giving it a four and a half.
0: Okay, well, oh, wow, that's that's not dramatically lower. You're not going to get punched in the face for that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still GoldenEye. It's the the Bond film, the, the first one I really remember going to see in the cinema and all that kind of thing, and you know, the game and everything, right? But I think that that's where the frustration comes in for me is that I'm knocking that half a star off again for similar problems. Even if they're quite small, I just feel that's why I'm kind of itching to get to the Craig era when things are a bit more, you know, you know know what I mean.
0: I know. The thing I I just want to challenge you on this, it's nothing, you're fine with it. I'm intrigued, though, because obviously the thing that you really had an issue with was the Natalia romance thing. Your favourite film so far that you rated a straight five stars with no real issues was On Her Majesty*. On Her Majesty* is mainly built on that love story, but in that film, Bond goes and sleeps with a bunch of people as well. The implausibility of that and the fact that we're meant to be okay with that is kind of what I had issues with. I'm just intrigued as to the, the rationale difference there.
2: Well, we're not talking about Bond's motivations, we're talking about Natalia's motivations.
0: Right, okay, is that the difference then?
2: Uh huh. Like I just did, I just, I just, you know, I just hate to be going on. I, I'm getting bored talking about female characters all the time because I feel like it's all we ever talk about, it, but it's a problem. Well,
0: uh, to be honest, that this it was only you
2: that brought
0: it up initially.
2: This one, I know, I know, but I'm fed up having to like I, I guess. <laughs> but I, I, I think if probably Steve McCall agree with me on this, it's something that that you can't ignore. You know, and I, I, I just
1: 100 agree. Actually, yes, I'm with I, you on this entirely.
2: Yeah, but it's but I'm not I'm I'm being generous to the film for that because I love it so much. But I think I can't give a it's not almost perfect. Do you know what I mean? It's almost oh, almost perfect. If that makes it's sense, got, it's
0: got many issues. I think it's got many issues. Definitely, yeah. like there are
2: issues that I could. Uh, there are many issues that I haven't knocked anything off of for because I can forgive them. But mm-hmm. until the. Uh, the reason I gave five stars to Honour Majesty's is because it had, because it actually had good characterization on the part of the characters who were not Bond. I felt, um, in terms of what uh, the believable motivations for me, and I guess that's subjective. It's not an objective thing; it's subjective. But basically, I'm never going to give a five-star film to a film that has characters that do things that I can't believe even for a second, because that's a second too much. And I think that if you're, you know. If you're that much of a professional writer that you're writing fucking films of this caliber, like this franchise and this history and all this kind of thing, then there's not and 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 for this length of time, do you know what I mean? Like I just feel like there's not, I'm I'm not going to be so forgiving there. Do you know what I mean? Okay, okay,
0: all right then. So it's a uh, four and a half. But the, the, you the main thing you liked about it was everything else about the film. I take it.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I I I think the fact that a whole half star comes off for 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 that right. it's how big it is in my mind do you know i'd be interested to hear what steve mccall says in response to my here because i think like it, like it shows how big of an issue it is for me you know all right steve we'll move on to you
1: <laughs> thank you for uh that was a nicely uh segue done yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a segue that's what i'm after so i'm, I'm going to do something slightly controversial um hopefully not too controversial but i will i will come to that um so basically i mean i, I love this film. But I don't know if I love the film as much as I love the memory of the film. This is kind of what I've been building up to, this particular film, because it's the one that I uh, am most familiar with. It's the one that I have a lot of memories of. The game, obviously, is a big deal. The timing of it, it was kind of... I think I was obviously sort of old enough at the time to have watched it. I've seen it a few times. But the memory of the film hasn't quite, I don't think, tallied up with... Watching the film after having watched the previous sixteen films and watching it in chronological order, but I mean, I I, I love the film. It was great. it's it's undoubtedly a great film. Standalone I had a lot of fun watching it. The characters, particularly the villains in this, are fantastic. I think Urmov Valentin have great scenes. Xenia, I think, might be in terms of villains anyway, particularly in terms of female characters, the highlight of this film. She was fantastic. Yes. Well, I think it's let down a lot is Natalia and i don't like i'm entirely with fran as i've mentioned previously that the the relationship was established too quickly too early i'm not saying there shouldn't have been a relationship there i just don't think it should have happened at the point that it did and it felt a little bit kind of forced in um i mean beyond that other points there was i felt there was a kind of return to some of the older humor that i thought we'd left behind you know having the Villain called on a top. That's going right back to the whole pussy galore thing that I thought we'd left behind in the seventies. Mm, um, there was a return to some of the the bad guy incompetency that we'd spoken about in some of the previous films. The tank scene, for example, through Russia, where um, Bond was Bond was in a tank, and everyone still managed to crash into everybody, everyone who was chasing him, and it yeah. felt it kind of harked back to some of the moments that I thought we'd left behind. And I've mentioned that <clears throat> there was some of the music that didn't work. Um, But like I say, I have been building up to this, thinking that this was going to be my five star, this was going to be my big one, but I didn't expect to like the two serious, gritty Dalton films that came before this one as much as I did. So for that reason, firstly, I think I want to give this one four and a half, but at the same time, I want to correct what I think was an error last week, and I've actually been kicking myself about this all week. So I gave Licence to Kill last week a four and a half. I want to give that a five. I wow. want to bump that up to five, because that, I don't think this can be a four and a half alongside Licence to Kill, having seen the two one after the other now, because it's not as good as Licence to Kill. And I've been beating myself up about not giving Licence to Kill the full five. So going back over that, I think I'm going to have to reevaluate slightly. So Licence from last week has gone up to a five, and this... Golden okay. eye, which I thought was giving a yeah. five, is a four and a half.
2: Is hey, Steve, oh, well. what, did I, what did I give license? I Killian? cannot remember, mate.
0: I'll, I'll get you, not, you. gave it uh, a five. Five. I thought, I thought uh, no, I, I think I gave it a five. I don't know if anybody else has given them fives. I, I've given the two Dalton ones fives. I don't know if I think everyone else was four and
1: a half. We went to be a little five, four and a half, four, three and a half last week. Yeah, or, I, I don't I, know if I remember yeah. that.
3: I don't think anyone get. I gave Dalton, <laughs> I gave License to the lowest rating, and I was a four.
2: Yeah. So I think I was four and a half.
0: Right. So it was two, four and a half. So I was a five, and then Gordon was a four. So
2: looking back, I didn't occur to me, but looking back on it, yeah, I'd probably do the same.
0: Okay. Oh, well. Uh, Timothy Dalton, if you're listening, there you go. You just got a couple of upgraded reviews there. Airborne's <laughs> yeah, upgraded. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, it's fantastic. So we've got two, four and a half. To be honest, when you started your review, I was really thinking you were going to go with a three or something there, Steve. I, I was. Waiting. Four and a half is as a completely reasonable review score to give this film.
1: Yeah,
0: I, uh, I can't. know it's too good. Yeah, Gordon, I'm intrigued. What's your What's your rating for this?
3: Yeah, as you know, five star films don't come easy to me, but I'm going to give Goldeneye a five. So there's not many films I've given a five. And I think a lot of that, you've got to look at not only what the film is, but what the producers and writers did at the time. You've got a six-year gap where Bond was maybe becoming a bit irrelevant, a new generation appearing, a lot of great films made in the early, mid-90s. And to come back with such impact, I think, and to come back without an original novel to base on, to come in cold, write a completely new story, uh, I thought I enjoy the whole conspiracy angle of it. And I mean, for a first film for Brosnan, top, top stuff, some real classic Bond in there. He's, he plays, it's a nice bridge between Connery and Moore. He he comes across, he's still got that charm that the Moore brought. He's a rogue. You see that, you know, when when he's not doing things that he's supposed to get evaluated by the the MI6 lady in, in the car at the start. And he's he's a bit of a ladies' man. He uses his wits to get out of difficult situations. I thought he was he, he's he was practically faultless in this film, Brosnan. And yeah. I think yeah, again, Sean Bean was brilliant. Just great supporting cast. It isn't just like one or two supporting cast. You know, Zhenya Natalia, who I liked, um, Zakovsky. Just great supporting cast. The other classic Bond sequence. Because what they did was they they took the great class things with Bond, but they made it relevant in the 90s, and it just it just evolved seamlessly in the 1990s, and they still were able to have that classic casino scene. Bond still orders a martini. He does a lot of the things that I like to see Bond say and do, and I immediately, it was one of these films, actually, um, I think it maybe it was the second viewing I made a complete U-turn. I was a kid at the time, so, you know, take from that what you will, but after the second viewing, I just I went from being kind of lukewarm to oh, I just love this film. So I mean the the criticisms, man, they're few and far between. The the music's a bit of a detractor. There's just bits that I find it's just plain strange, like the <laughs> the cradle fight, end the the car chase. I just I long for a golden eye re-scored. Not not that you would rescore a film, but see if it has. I could go on all day, but if it had like a John Barry score, even a, even like with David Arnold did Tomorrow Never Dies, it would be like the perfect film. I just kind of longed for that. I, you know, there was bits of music. Like I said music did work, but uh, and I do. Yeah, I I thought Trevelyan was great. I wondered, like you know, he really really hated Bond, but did he did he quite have the was there quite enough reason to have a hatred of the bond? It was just because he hated Britain and he used Bond as uh, as the whipping boy. I don't know, but there's Bond. There's only
2: did, um, crush him and blow him up as well, mind you. So when did he crush him? With all the, yeah,
3: uh, his... Either, well, would, yeah I would assume maybe he didn't. Yeah, uh, he, he might. He might have just avoided one. I don't know, but. Uh, but Bond. <laughs> And the whole three minutes thing. I, th- I think Bond was Bond was doing surely what Trevelyan was trying to do to, to to accomplish the mission. It looks as if Bond was pretty much surrendering, you know. But but you know, like I said, those they really um they really brought Bond in the nineteen nineties and style. I think in this film and the the box office returns, you know, show that. Yeah.
0: Uh, five stars, four and a half, four and a half. I think it's probably no surprise. I'm also giving this a five stars. However, I'm not completely oblivious to the fact that I sound just like a Goldeneye fanboy because I have said from the very first podcast, this is my one, in my top ten favorite films of all time. Never mind Bond films. Um, but. I think there's these things. I, I've praised many aspects of the film. I'll not regurgitate them all. I love the villains. I love the dynamics between the villains. I love ensemble pieces. I love the supporting cast. I think Brosnan is perfect in this film. I love the, I like the, the actual Tina Turner theme song. I love it. I actually do like most of Eric Serra's music apart from that scene in the car chase at the beginning. It's just a bit strange, as Gordon put it, but it doesn't bother me. I still enjoyed it. So, uh, lots of fantastic one-liners little zingers, uh, I had to ventilate someone for England, James all these kind of like fantastic lines quotable as hell, it helps that I've seen the film many times, it helps also have the fascination and the obsession with Goldeneye the game to tie up with the nostalgia so I, I'm completely aware of that, So, but I have to give my, my, my score based on my enjoyment watching this film, I get such a happy watching this film. I just, I love it. It's so much fun. It's a perfectly paced film. I don't think it has too much of a lull where it quietens down. It ramps up. It's got classic Bond. It's got new 90s Bond. It's a great mash mash of what makes Bond great and it set the franchise up for after a bit of a a lull six year delay. So yeah, fantastic. Five star review from me. So... That is golden eye gents we have reached 2 hours on this recording so this is a, this is going to be epic with a half hour preamble we are reaching bigger and bigger
3: podcasts we are evolving and keep listening on apple podcasts because well we've got some good things coming but at the moment it seems to be some of the more recent episodes so if any listener wants to hear the old ones then head over to soundcloud and you'll get your doctor nose and your gold fingers etc
2: and don't yeah. forget Star Trek and uh, all the
3: one-off movies as well. Exactly, yeah. Because uh, we need we need them all, um, and, and I've written
2: reviews as well for games, isn't there, Steve? You've done some games and movies, yeah. mostly movies. Yeah, yeah. I've just reviewed
0: random games that I've played over the last couple of years. There's the uh, the earliest podcasts, although they're. The amateur sound quality at the time, it was my first podcast, but yeah, we covered current films at the time. Uh, but yeah, there's, there was a, a year, the 2017 year in films was debated quite brutally uh, to try and get to a collective top 10, which might be fascinating for some people if they like listening to debates about films. It came out in 2017. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to, to, to check out. We've got nearly, we've got I think over 50 podcasts on SoundCloud. Yeah, uh, so,
3: yeah, enjoy, listen. And uh, it'd be great when we get a, a bit more feedback as well, and uh, let us know that we really are as gory as we know we are.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we are, so, no, I mean, we're 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 four <laughs> extremely unique characters who've been written very well. Yeah, we're we're invincible, you might say, as a stand up. <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah,
0: invincible. Yeah,
2: none, of, none of us have
0: moved yet, so we are we are invincible uh, yep. alright then thanks guys for joining me for this one we will return for tomorrow never dies yeah that's right that sounded weird when I said that there <laughs> uh, yeah looking forward to that that should be fun uh, 1997 film Brosnan's second one uh, yeah we will be back thanks Fran no problem thank you Steve no problem thank you Gordon see you
3: soon old buddy
0: <laughs> and we will be back for tomorrow never dies bye bye Bye